0: It shall be up. Are you watching closely Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. Nicholasdostel.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at WAYW underscore podcast. Next time is all about Christopher Nolan's new film, Oppenheimer. We're going to see it in IMAX, we're going to talk about it right after, and who am I kidding? I will be talking about Barbie as well. Stay tuned. Wow, that was a lot of fun. Holy shit. Uh, this We're venturing in the longest pod ever territory here. We both got to get yeah, going. Seriously, Good luck. We're going to move on to What Are You Watching? Good luck, everyone. Are you watching closely? I want to let you know <laughs> that you are listening correctly. That's all. Everything is correct.
1: We'll go to What Are You Watching? We can make it quick. Yeah. If you want to go first. It's not even really a what are you watching pick as much as it's just I kind of want to just shoot this movie and more attention that we all we do a good job of it. You said it earlier when we were talking about uh, the directors of today uh, and you brought Damien Chazelle. Oh yes. Uh, I wanted to throw out Babylon one more time as my what are you watching recommendation (laughs) because of something that my mom said that I just wanted to share on the pod. Please so we, do, we, please do. We just got back from a very long trip overseas, which was awesome, my mom and I. And I told her, she's like, what movie should I watch? We've got these long flights. And I, I go, you have to watch Babylon. And um, she was like, okay. So she doesn't know anything about it. She knows Damien Chazelle from Whiplash and La La Land. I don't think she's seen First Man. But she came up to me. We were sitting in different seats on the plane, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So she had found her way up. And cross all the way across the plane just to come and tell me that she said that she was blown away by Babylon. She's like, this is a masterpiece. This is an artist who has something to say that is, she She was just saying all the things that we've said. But mm-hmm. I gave her, she, she didn't even hear any of those things that we said. She was coming up with all of this on her own. She's like, what he is saying about the state of film today, what it was, what it could be, everything. This She's like, this was such an artistic achievement on so many levels beyond what he's saying, but just what he's also giving us, this story and all of its visuals. I was just sitting there watching her pour out this, this verbiage to me. And I was just sort of like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And yes, you were so right. So... Everyone, go see Babylon. (laughs) Go see it. It's available to stream now. I believe Paramount
0: Plus. Like, go watch it. It deserves, you know, that's one I would not mind doing a commentary for because we did an episode about it. But we recorded that episode 45 minutes after we saw it, like right away. So we didn't all this, like all this stuff, all this um, context and all this thinking that we've had with it, all this time with it. We've had like eight months with it now. It'd be great to go back and revisit it in some fashion on the pod because When you texted me that about your mom, I replied and said, I think that is going to be one that kind of tipped people over because a lot of the reasons that movie was rejected were for ideological reasons. That just, uh, it's like, people, this is a movie. Like, this is a movie about a ridiculous time in Hollywood. And people who saw that movie, a lot of them loved it. Critics really loved it. The Oscars rejected it. And I think, I think, give it a few years and that's going to be a classic that it was oddly rejected, like bafflingly rejected. It's going to go, what the fuck were you people on? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I do think that one will be regarded in much higher esteem than it has been for the past eight months. It's go watch. It it. is truly a masterpiece. I agree. Uh, I love that. That's a great pick. I'm going to move really quickly because mine, I thought I was going to talk about it for longer. Our next episode is going to be on Oppenheimer. Just a review of that movie. We're going to go to the theater. I'm seeing it in IMAX. I hope you are too. It's going to be a hell of a time, hell of an experience. So maybe I'll talk about this a little more on that episode. But, you know, I watch a lot of movies and I'm interested in a lot of things. But I put on this fucking documentary series that I know a lot of people have heard of called The Vietnam War by Ken Burns, released in 2017. This thing is 10 episodes long. The longest one is two hours. The shortest one is about an hour and 20 minutes. I burned through it, burned through it. I got the PBS documentaries upgrade on Amazon. I'm obsessed. This thing, like, I guess I'm an old man now because while I'm (laughs) in the theater seeing Asteroid City, seeing Past Lives, seeing No Hard Feelings, movies all of which I enjoyed several times in each screening of that where I'm sitting there in the theater going, God, I wish I was at home watching the Vietnam War. I just really <laughs> wish I was right now. I, I had seen one Ken Burns film, The Central Park Five. That's a two-hour documentary. I never seen any of these long ones. And now I'm just, I'm really into it. And it, it was not slow. It moved so well. It taught me so much. And there's a bit of a Nolan connection because all that those interviews you see in Interstellar for the Dust Bowl, that was all taken from a 2012 documentary by Ken Burns called the Dust Bowl. So not the Ellen Burst and stuff, but everything else is from that actual documentary. So he's kind of tangentially related to Nolan here. But yeah, we've kept people around long enough. Or maybe you're just getting started. Maybe. (laughs) Christopher Nolan, we did it. That wasn't contentious at all. That was great. I think we expressed ourselves eloquently, even if we didn't like all the movies, even if we don't think all the movies are perfect. (laughs) Oh, Yeah. Oh, that was a lot of fun. I had a great time rewatching all these. I watched all the special features for them. Highly recommend that. The Nolan making of documentaries on all of his movies will teach you a lot. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Letterboxd. Trash Nolan. Praise Nolan. W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. As always, thank you for listening and happy watching. We finished the Nolan filmography real quick because we're running. Oh, we're running long. Are we ever? I appreciate everyone being here with us for this long. Or maybe you're just joining us. Who knows? Either way, welcome. Are you watching closely? So Christopher Nolan, what are you watching awards? We're not, I didn't split yes. them up into, I didn't give like five for each category, but we're just going to go by category. I have two for each. I have first place and second place. You do not have to do that. But oh. what I didn't have on here was best sound. So let's get that one out of the way. We both okay. agreed it'd be Tenet or Dunkirk rather, not Tenet, Dunkirk for best sound. Correct. Dunkirk. That's what we said. Yes. Yes. Fucking it yes. up. All right. So let's start and we'll work our way down to the biggest one. All right. I didn't do two, though. I didn't get that No, that's fine. That's fine. That's
1: fine. Oh, I didn't give you that note. Best editing. All right. You're going to love this. You're going to love my answer. Okay. I can't wait. I've thought a lot about it. Okay. Insomnia.
0: Oh, wow. That's great. I did For all like the jump cuts and stuff, I did not expect that at all. I was going to go with Dunkirk, the one he's at. Christopher
1: Nolan movie that has actually won the best editing Oscar. Dunkirk, I think, is his best editing. Well, that... That was going to be that was going to be my pick. But when when I kind of went back to my whole note perfect thing, I kind of had to ask myself, I go, why does every single moment of this movie work? Like not just scene, every moment. And I'm like, that's editing. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just like, that's just especially that specificity. We're talking about prop stuff, following this very, very intentional and, and something you really have to pay a lot of attention to, and for it to all work in that genre piece that it is, I was like, I think this is this this is going to this, but yes, Dunkirk would be my second score. No, no question. Inception, really no i thought you were gonna go no I,
0: question interstellar for me it's interstellar for the docking it, scene alone. interstellar well wow, that's, that's hilarious yep. i really thought you were gonna go no question interstellar but inception is the most iconic score of christopher nolan's career without question i mean they stole it for like, I have every it on, fucking movie trailer for 10 years
1: <laughs> oh my god it, it's my it, it's it uh i have it on vinyl oh um, fuck yeah and And the song Time, even though that has been used in, uh, like, 12 Years a Slave, it's been used in commercials, like, to me, that is the iconic Inception theme. I will never not be emotionally moved by that song, and I will only ever think about it in Inception. And it honestly took me out in 12 Years a Slave. (laughs) And that's a tender moment.
0: Oh, right, right. I mean, Hans Zimmer, yeah, doing, doing both. So there's definitely... Yep. Some familiar strains there. My number two would be Tenet, actually. I love the Tenet score. Oh, yeah. Tenet a
1: great score. My number two would be Interstellar.
0: Best Cinematography. Big one. Wow. You go first. (laughs) Oh, Christ. Why is he laughing? Following. Tenet. Tenet, really? I can't. I mean, yeah, I can't hate because there's shit in that. I'm like, how did you do this? I've never seen anything like this in a movie before, and I can't tell if it's CG cuz you're I mean they were using miniatures to blow up those buildings like half-size miniatures that's why it looks so real cuz they were actually blowing shit up they weren't using a green screen
1: love it just the the composition of the way that it looked like a James Bond movie the just like some of those sweeping like landscape shots like i and, and for being a movie that i have no idea what's going on and i'm okay with it something's got to be leading me the way that i can't take my eyes off of and that's got to be the cinematography
0: hell yeah so I love it. Yeah. My number two, or actually my
1: number one, Inception, wins for me for cinematography. Ah, yeah, it does. And then my number
0: two is actually Interstellar.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, my number two would be Inception, and then, yeah, Interstellar would be following that.
0: Oh, that's cool. That's so cool. I love this. You're throwing me some cur- some surprises, but they all track. Like I mean, It's all fair. That's yep. what I mean. It's all fair. Yeah. The next one was the only one that had a caveat, because I have to imagine best supporting actor for both of us would be... Topher Grace and Interstellar. <laughs> Heath oh, Ledger, we God. love you. The Dark Knight, rest yep. in peace. We love you. I assume that would be number one for both of us. So I'll do my second choice first. And I thought a lot about this, but I'm going with Robert Pattinson and Tenet because I love that
1: wow. guy. I love him. That's a, that's a, that's a good one. I, this, this might be kind of shocking. Uh, I'm going Christian Bale, The Prestige.
0: Ooh, okay, okay. That's... Uh, it's only Shocking's. That's a bit of a stretch for supporting. I think he's the lead in that. You think so? Yeah, I think. I don't know. Okay. I'm let all you right. Off the hook
1: with that one. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I think you might need to dig deeper. Okay. Okay. Then let's come back to that one. Give me some time to all think right, about right, it. Come if that's back. too much of a stretch, Casey Affleck is sitting right there for you. Right. He's just you, right you there. Shut. You, you sh- shut, shut your out. whore mouth.
0: Best 20 actress, Marin Coutillard, Dark Knight Rises, obviously. JK. 100 percent Inception. I put Inception for her. I love her in that. Oh really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really she's love so her in
1: Inception. I believe all of it through all the all the beats of what she was doing. Yeah. I love her in that. And she does some things in that movie too, like that are, are like, uh, like that there's a look that happens when they're they're coming back from the uh the hotel scene. They're up in the elevator. Yeah. And the elevator is rising up, and then she just has her eyes looking up at them, and but her hair is moved to one side. Right. She looks like a monster. Yeah, she she looks, looks like an crazy. evil, evil. Yeah, oh, crazy. I love it. Great pick. I'm going with Best Supporting Actress Carrie Ann Moss in Memento. Oh, great. Yeah, great. That's
0: Okay, well, let, let's jump to it. Let me skip over actor. Let me jump right to actress, because she was my runner-up, even though, I mean... Lead actresses in Christopher Nolan movies are not very easy yeah. to find, if I'm being honest. So this, I, I would have allowed Carrie Ann Moss here. I actually have Elizabeth Debicki in Tenet, even though I could very easily make the argument that that's a supporting part. But I was I was giving myself a little leeway because there aren't a lot of lead performers for females.
1: <laughs> a lot of lead characters so, for females, yeah my best actress was elizabeth Dubecki. Oh, we've had one Tenet. that
0: matched. All right. Cuz
1: I cuz I did cuz I you're you're right. Like there's not there's not a lot of of um of leading performances for women in Christopher Nolan's movies, but I would think that that one would be the biggest one he's had. I can't think of another one that's got that much of a of a lead's weight in terms of the story. And Carrie Ann Moss really isn't in. She's just the only woman in Memento. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Okay, let's move back up to Best Actor. This is a,
0: a my one and two. I was like, really, you're gonna do this? Number one, bring it home, Guy Pierce, Memento. God, I love him. Ooh, fuck. God, I love him. All right. He was allowed to improvise a lot of that uh, voiceover narration. By the way, he was just just allowed to sit in a booth and like let it sound human. You can hear a lot of like pauses, human pauses. Love it. Love it. I love him in that. So give me your number one, then I'll give you my number two. My number one,
1: Al Pacino in Insomnia. That's my
0: number two. Fuck yep. yeah. That's yep. awesome. He's so good in that. Dorma here. Oh, God. That's great. I love him in that. If you think like Pacino fizzled out by the 90s like he was done, nah, the 2002 Insomnia is, and obviously he's, now with the Irishman, like he got, he got a bounce back, but I mean, and he's so good in Insomnia. So he good. is so fucking good. Here's a big one. He's written them all except one best screenplay. My number one. This was a no brainer for me. It was memento. It mine has too. to be mine. Okay. Too. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a second spot? Do you have a second pick? I mean for screenplay. Uh, uh, mine actually was inception. Yeah, because actually it's an original story that he worked yep. on for so long. And
1: I, I appreciate it for that reason. That would be mine. Yep. And and I have an answer now for my best supporting actor. If you want to just cross back. All right,
0: let's go back up to best supporting actor. Let's do it. I said Robert Pattinson Tennant. You say
1: I say um, uh, Joe Pantoliano from Memento. Memento. Oh, good. Yeah. Lenny. Yep. 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 I thought about it and I was like, I was like, oh, man, like he's really good in it. He does a lot of interesting things. This was the hardest one for me. Best director. This was not easy. This was not easy. I,
0: I I have I actually have tied for first place. That's what I, I have here. I have a tie. I could split it into one and two. I cannot believe this. I can't believe what I'm... I, you, do you want to go first for best director?
1: I'll go first because mine is... A, because of this was actually my toughest one, and my answer might be a cop-out just because I went with it because it's my favorite Nolan movie, so my best director is Inception.
0: Okay. No, that's fair. That's totally fair. You know what I put here... The Dark Knight slash Dunkirk. I I did, because I think for what The Dark Knight is, I think it is a perfectly directed movie. Flaws and all, of course, but the genre that that fits into, what he was able to achieve with it, the lasting legacy of it. Yep. I I just go, wow. And then Dunkirk, I mean, I could say this for Tenet too, but Dunkirk is on its face. It could be such a conventional war film that we've all seen. So many times, and just by making the directorial decision and the writing decision and the editorial decision, but that all comes from the director of mixing it up like that, I think is a huge achievement. And how he keeps the tension maintained for 106 minutes. Because that movie never lets up.
1: I was surprised I put those though. I was surprised. The Dark Knight was the one. I was actually battling between Inception and the Dark Knight because Mm -hmm. I ended up going with Inception as my number one just because I was like, fuck it, it's my favorite. You know, I'm gonna go with it. But for all the reasons you said the dark knight which were my reasonings for picking that one as well the one and two yeah best picture for me goes to memento love it best to me is inception yeah, yeah those were yeah, those were spoiled of course they're. yeah they were already. And
0: then ones. you may have thought that was our last category but it is not yeah. the most coveted category involving Chris Nolan best michael kane performance what do you have? I have the prestige. Oh, cool. That was second place for me. I have. You're going to fucking hate it. The Dark Knight Rises. Oh. <laughs> well, it's because the I one love scene... That scene on the stairs. It's... I just and then when he's crying at the grave, I, I love it. I love what he did with that. I didn't expect it. But prestige would definitely be number two. Yeah, I love how involved he is in that. I love his one scene in Tenet. I just I
1: love Michael Caine. He's the most involved, I think, in, in a Nolan movie in The Prestige. Like, he, he's more than just, I mean, Alfred, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's very involved in those movies, too. Uh, honestly, we've... It's been awesome. I
0: know. We've come a long way, and I this is maybe the one I'm most excited to talk about. We're here at Tenant, released in 2020. It was supposed to come out in May of 2020. The global pandemic delayed that. Yes. So I'm just going to get going because you've, you've seen this one once. So let me, let me kick off here. <laughs> October 2020, the first movie back in theaters. They're opening theaters back up. And Tenet is the big draw. So I'm so excited. Holy God, it's been six months without being able to see a movie in the theater. I'm beyond excited to see this. It was brutal not being able to go to a theater for six months. I was itching. <laughs> to tell you how much I fucking hated this movie, uh, about, I don't know, 20 minutes in, I realized I do not have the slightest idea what's going on, and clearly I'm not going to, and I made the decision there to, I guess I was mad at like COVID, mad that this had to be the first movie in six months that I had to see, and I could not hear the dialogue, and it seemed so important. Yep. I had no idea what was going on, and I hated it. I remember texting you and being like, I didn't like that. I would give it a D. I thought John David Washington was uh, awful. I, I just, it was wild how much I rejected it. We did our top 10 of 2020. No mention of that movie. We never mentioned it. Never. All due respect to Lovers Rock. I'm watching Tenant now. This has to be my favorite movie of that year it Don't has to you be you
1: even Lovers
0: Rock is like oh. a 51 minute art installation it's a little longer and that's like a 70 minute art installation that I love I would still put it first but my point is the About Face I've had on Tenet is is unlike I mean it's a it's one of the top 5 movies of my lifetime that I've done a complete 180 on and I absolutely love this movie now. I still think it is confusing as all hell. I still think without captions you cannot understand a lot of their dialogue. But I now think that he made his James Bond movie. A lot of a lot of the plot points in James Bond movies make no fucking sense for better or worse. The way that john david washington is playing the protagonist i totally get what he's doing the humor he's injecting into it i love this movie now the thing was because it was covid the movie didn't leave theaters for a long time a long time so i just went back to see it because there was nothing else to see and then before it came out on blu-ray i I wasn't even gonna buy it i rented it on youtube once because it wouldn't leave my head and i watched it and i was like shit now that i understand this better and i'm a little calmer i really fucking like this and i just do i watch this one all the time two things i loved from the beginning even in that first viewing was a score yes. by ludwig Gordonson, which it's is great. just i mean i work out to that score that score is nuts yeah. i love that thing and robert pattinson who I think is uh, is just remarkable as Neil. And I, I love his character. I always have. But yeah, I love Tenet now. That's my long speech of uh, really rejecting it, honestly, because I couldn't understand it. And then when I gave it another chance, several more chances, I really grew to love it and appreciate it. Totally understand that it's over the top and confusing. I get all that. But you just watched this. I did.
1: So talk to me about Tenet. So this was the first movie I watched uh, for our Nolan pod. Um, because I was hoping to get in a second watch because you had said you're going to have whatever experience you're going to have with it the first time. Yeah. It it would behoove you to watch it a second time, no matter what. And so I couldn't get that second viewing in, unfortunately, but I will speak to my first viewing of it. I really liked it. Good. (laughs) But I can't really give you a reason why, because (laughs) I was, okay. So also I did watch it on TV and i put closed captions on mm-hmm. i was actually following the thread of everything f- fairly well then the physics at one point got to me and i couldn't follow anymore i was i was doing my best i was following the the time i was following like what was going on? I'm like, okay, yup, 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 yup. This is all like it's it's out there, but I'm but I'm I'm even if I wasn't exactly there, I'm like I think I'm in the ballpark. But then some of the <laughs> in, inverse physics of everything, yeah, yeah, got too confusing. And by the time we get to that whole end of battle, and you've got one side going in inverted, yeah. and the, the, I was like. <sighs> I have no idea what's happening, No, but I think it's cool. This this, this is basically what the, the, your James Bond analogy I think is honestly kind of perfect. James Bond in, in every movie has to
0: save the fucking world. Ethan Hunt in every Mission and, Impossible movie, he's got to save the world. How? Does it all make sense? No, I cannot it, sit here right now and tell you verbatim everything that happens in Mission Possible Dead Reckoning Part One, which I just saw because a lot of it is confusing. I forgive it.
1: I don't know. It, <laughs> it, well, and that's kind of how this was, where it, it was like, okay, I, I don't know what's going on, but this is all really cool. Yeah. Like, that's the word I use for this movie. I'm like, this movie is cool. Super cool. It, it, and you're right, because John David Washington is is playing a James Bond. This is a James Bond, but just Nolan style. He, yeah. No, like, this is the most up his own ass Nolan's ever been, I think. And he knows that. He knows that. Absolutely. Yep. He does. They gave
0: him $205 million to go make this fucking thing. It's an original script. This thing is nuts. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe it.
1: It is. It's a a sci-fi James Bond Nolan uh, thing. I honestly got, even when I lost the thread of what was going on, it didn't matter to me. And this Mm -hmm. is the first viewing because – I I accepted it at one point because I was like, you know what? I did lose track of what's happening, but I still understand the stakes and I'm still invested in the saving the world Mm -hmm. component. So I was following everything. And and there were a few things that were making sense. And and I love Elizabeth Dubecki in this. Oh, she's so good in it. I love her in it. You
0: know how she got the role? Widows. That was it. Emma Thomas, the producer, saw Widows and was like,
1: Chris, you have to watch this. And they went, sold. She's in. She, th- she to me, is the heart of this movie. Oh, for sure, and, for sure. And the, to me, in my experience with the movie, when I lost track of everything, I remember I told myself, I was like, just go back to Debecky. Just go back to, like, ground ground my confusion in whatever's going on with her. And I didn't need anything anymore. Yeah, I, I was yeah. like, I, I know where where I'm at because I'm with her. Now, I guess this begs the question, because clearly, I did not need this movie to make sense to me in order to enjoy all two hours plus minutes that it was. Because I really did. There, there yeah. wasn't a single moment where I'm like, I don't like this. I liked everything that was happening. I just acknowledge that I don't know what's happening. Does that make it a good movie? Like, it, should should that be the case? Should you have to abandon all understanding of what's happening? Can you allow yourself to still enjoy it? Clearly, I could. I would like to understand a little bit more, but I enjoyed my time with this movie so much. But is that is that something that's okay?
0: Yeah. Is it fair for a movie in order to fully appreciate it, demand repeat viewings from you? This is an age old argument. I I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of classics out there. No one's going to understand 2001 A Space Odyssey fully on first viewing. You're not. You're just not going to. So.
1: Th- well can you even is- do that with a second viewing with this?
0: Um no, no. I mean yeah. you can't. There's no way someone can fully understand Tenet in a second viewing. I mean, I've seen it. I've kept count um with new movies I try to like to if I think I'm going to watch them a lot, I'm keeping count. So I've seen Tenet 11 times in fact. <laughs> and <laughs> I, fucking, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I fucking love it, man. I can't help myself. I'm a fucking <laughs> lunatic. You put it on it's just like Oh my god, it's so good. And they torture him, and um, I do have it all. I I got it all now. I I did not get here on my own. I did not. I got here with a lot of Reddit threads, a lot of sleuthing on myself. But I pretty much get. I get everything that Kenneth his character is doing now. The stakes at the end. I get what's happening. I, there a lot of things. A lot of the whys are not explained on purpose. I don't get everything like. I, I don't want to give away the end, but what is revealed in the end and in, in a back and forth conversation, I, I don't know what the hell's going on with all that. Like, who knows? They don't show us any of that. But what they show us on the text of Tenet, I do understand. And the way they made this was fucking nuts. I mean, that I thought they did some digital trickery for all that backward stuff. I watched the feature length making of for this. No, Robert Pattinson learned how to drive in reverse. I mean, there's some trickery, of course, but like that hallway fight That was the first thing they shot, and they had to shoot that four times. I don't mean coverage of it four times. I mean coverage of it from four different takes. They had to do it with John David Washington in his nice polished suit, first forward, then reversed. He actually filmed like doing the motions in reverse, and then he had to put on that black ops suit and do the same exact thing. And when they edited that scene... The, both of the fight scenes, they didn't use any of the same takes. It's fucking crazy. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Th- it. This is a big lift to appreciate. I I get it. And is it fair? I mean, m- my argument in October 2020, I think I even had an argument to you that you should not have to see a movie multiple times in order to fully appreciate it. I would say that. And that's why if someone watches Tenet once and tells me it's a piece of shit, you're not going to get an argument from me. What I will say is if you're interested in all, I promise when you go back, you'll actually start to understand a lot more and it'll probably benefit the film for you. And like me, you may develop a relationship where like, oh, I'm learning with this thing. Like, I feel like I'm getting smarter as I'm watching this yeah. <laughs> because I'm figuring it out. So there's a joy in it for me. Yeah, I love it. I love Tenet. Yeah. I'm about to go put it on now.
1: <laughs> yeah, for the 12th time. 12th time. I
0: know, I know. I, I mean, sometimes it's embarrassing to admit this stuff, but <laughs> I am who I am. I've, I have a, in my notes app a little, the month and the year of every time I've watched Tenet and The Irishman, those are the only two I'm doing it for. I could do it for Waves because I could backlog and keep it up, but those are ones I'm watching a lot. What, do, you, do you know what movie you've seen more than any other movie? Oh, ever? Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about this. Ever, it's, it would be Pulp Fiction and Scream. Those would, Pulp, well, uh, and honestly, that's right, that's if I'm right. being totally yep. honest, I don't have all this memorized, but um, then I'd have to loop in, when I was a kid, Cinderella and E.T., because I, I just yeah. I broke those VHSs, watched them so much. Uh, my, one, my one movie title answer is Scream. I know I've seen that. Uh, I, I mean, I, that would be embarrassing to admit how many times I've seen that. It would be in the hundreds, plural certainly yeah yeah I've, yeah I've seen it so many fucking times i still have That's my vhs awesome. i'm looking right now i've it on vhs dvd blu-ray and 4k why why indeed why indeed so that would be the number one ask, then pulp shame is really high up there too have you ever <laughs> thought about scream being in your top 10 oh i mean it was up until I, when i was like 15 that was like scream one yeah. and two are in my top five like I've thought about it for personal reasons, but there's too many other movies. I have so many movies in my top 10 for personal reasons that are like that have all the prestige to care to, you know, carry that through. Scream is my favorite genre movie ever made, though. I would say that Uh, like no problem. Yeah. And I don't think it's the best genre or horror movie ever made, but it's my personal favorite. The relationship I built with that movie was so singular to me becoming obsessed with movies. I fucking love Scream. That's why you can talk all your shit on Scream 5 and 6 all you want. I like them.
1: I don't care. I love 5 and 6. I, I love did too. 5 and 6. I did too. Oh, I'm such a fan.
0: Fun one. Let's move on to Dunkirk. Because with Dunkirk, to me, it was like Nolan listened to some of his biggest criticisms and addressed them, but then also quadrupled down on others. So for starters, it, people were mentioning, especially with Dark Knight Rises and Interstellar, these are getting long, buddy. So then I, I remember when the news came out that Dunkirk's gonna be 106 minutes long. I was like, huh? Is this is that like part one? And then we're gonna get to Dunkirk yeah. part two two years later. No, this is what it's gonna be. I'm like, okay. And then another big criticism he gets, we just honed in on it a lot for Interstellar, is the cross-cutting of action. Which is a signature thing of the Christopher Nolan movie. It's just what he does. I have not seen Oppenheimer, but I that is a safe bet that he is going to be cross-cutting action several times throughout the movie. This can work effectively. Sometimes in Interstellar, when what you're cross-cutting is something extremely thrilling, like what they're doing in space, with that crop burning... It can lose a little luster to me, and then I start to feel like you're only doing this just because the crop-burning thing isn't interesting enough, so you're trying to ratchet up this false tension. It's like he heard that with Dunkirk, and he's like, yeah, fuck you all. I'm going to do that for an entire movie. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Good
0: luck. And to me, Dunkirk, honestly, like when I watch it, it, it feels like... I heard Tarantino hone in on this a little more, but it feels like the third act of a Christopher Nolan movie. Like we could easily have Ah. 90 minutes setting all of this up. Where did all these boys come from? How did Kenneth Branagh get his mission? All this stuff, you know, Mark Rylance making the decision to actually go. You'd be able to build all this story up, and then your third act would essentially be what we see in Dunkirk. But no, he just chops that out, takes this huge moment of history that – I'll speak for myself. I just was not that clued into. I had heard it mentioned in in movies in passing, but I was not familiar with this battle at all. And Tenet gives it a run for its money. But Dunkirk is the most structurally challenging film he's made. It's so experimental in the way he did it. And what a fucking swing. Because the people who dislike this movie, that's all they go to. It's too confusing needlessly. I say bravo to you sir bravo I and, but again I'm not going to argue with people if you think it's too confusing
1: needlessly I'm not going to argue I think it works I think it works too but I'll be honest I've seen this movie 2 times Oh that's it okay wow I've seen this one a lot First time in theaters yeah. when it came out I actually think this is the best sound no one has ever done Ooh okay I, good, qu- I, uh,
0: good question good question yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: I would agree I would agree I would agree
1: yeah. So much of the actual storytelling of this movie happens through its sound. Just those planes. Yeah. The the looming emotion, but also understanding that that's what this is always happening. Like, they're just waiting to get bombed. And the, the sound clues you into when things are wrong or when things are happening, adds to the excitement. I think he used sound more effectively, and this is a huge, like, statement to make use sound the most effectively for this movie than he's ever used it. And he is a guy that uses sound very effectively. Oh, yeah. Now, all that being said, when I did see this movie in IMAX, when it came out, we were a little close to the screen. <laughs> so th- there were specifically in the nighttime boat sinking sequence, mm-hmm. I lost complete thread of what was going on visually. Well, that's that's I, what
0: happens to everyone on first viewing because you're like, wait a minute, what the fuck? I Killian Murphy's on the other
1: boat. He he's, yep. he's shell shocked. Like, what what is this? Yeah, yeah. And this is I'm just admitting this. And I but the second time I saw it, it all clicked because I'm an idiot. In the very beginning of the movie, when they he only gives you these title cards once to explain yeah. what you're yeah. about to see. So it's the mole one week, the sea one day. The air one hour. Mm -hmm. I did not know that the mole was the ship and everything that has to do with like, this is the one place where the ship comes to get everybody.
0: Yeah. Like the docking part of the beach, essentially.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I did not know that that's what that was. I didn't so either. the first time I, I saw I it- I had
0: no fucking clue. What, I thought they were talking about and, like a detective, like a mole, like a undercover no, that's exactly agent what or I something. Thought too. I had no idea. I yep. did,
1: you're not dumb for not and, knowing. I had no fucking clue. And I did not get that the one week thing was the time stamp that he was giving us for this part of the story. Yes. So I got, as I think a lot of people did, I did get confused in that first viewing as to why- we were cross-cutting this nighttime sequence with two other moments that were happening during the day. I'm like, what is the time frame here? Now, second time I watched Dunkirk on my phone at four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> it all became instantly clear. I was like, oh, the mole. That's that must be the ship, the docking port. Oh, and this is all taking place in. Oh, that makes sense. That means everything we're seeing is happening in the timetable he's giving us. So uh, everything that's happening here is in the span of one week. Not. No, that, no, 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 no.
0: You're, you're close. Is that not what's happening? No, 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 no. Everything that's happening on the beach is not a week. It's like uh, a day and a night into like the next day. What those are telling you is that was the average amount of time that people who served in Dunkirk in this battle were at their posts. so you only had an hour's worth of gasoline in the air. so that's all that that battle lasted for. you only you had a day to get to Dunkirk and back. That's how long the boat thing lasted for. The people who were on the beach could be on there for a week, but these boys are not on there for they're not on there for a week. That's not the implication. This is what makes it a little a little more confusing. but they are not on that beach for a week, they're not. Tom Hardy, everything we see from him takes place over like one gas tank of fuel. So all of yeah. that, but the stuff on the beach is not one week that they that they would have to show us more of using the bathroom, which is a thing in this movie. Food. It, it's yeah, not, it's yeah. basically, it, it's like the the day of all them out there and then it goes into the next day, but it, it is not over ah. maybe like a day or two. It's not a week. It's not a week. So I know, sorry, I know you just pieced all this together, but. That is a confusing part of it. It doesn't mean – what's confusing is that we are actually in the air for like an hour with Tom Hardy, and yeah. that's cut up. And we are on the boat for like a day with Mark Rylance. That is cut up. Yeah. But the the idea is that the average soldier waited on that beach for a week to a get week. picked up. But that wasn't – it's not saying that
1: all these guys, you know, fine Whitehead so, and – and all them I have so been there it for So was it basically because they make a that that they do it a few times where they're like, my God, you can see it from here, right? Basically, so basically, it was more of a thing is like this is how long it's gonna take for you to get home. Yes, if yes, you are here yes, exactly. Okay, if you are flying
0: well, the mission, flying, it will take you will be out for one hour at a time. If you were one of those extremely gracious citizens who took their personal boat all the way. That would take you a day to get to Dunkirk beach. And then if If you were were on the the beach, the average amount of time that someone was on there was a week of being. Now I will say to the movie, you don't really feel like, Oh, they're on here for, for a week because they're not supposed to be, but you do get the sense, especially early on that they are just sitting fucking ducks. And I think that's the point. And the week, Versus a day, versus an hour, is supposed to clue you in and help delineate that these are not taking place concurrently. He is messing with us with the structure to make it seem like Tom Hardy's been up here for, you know, 48 hours. He hasn't. He's only been up here for an hour. No, yeah. You're like, oh, when the boat explodes, oh, shit, that's the same boat. Like, there, there are, there's not four boats exploding in this movie. So you go it's- and then – uh, of course, the whole moment is when he's, you know, pulled up out of the water, and that's when everything's supposed to click into place. But yes, it, it, the structure of this movie is confusing, and those title it, cards,
1: uh,
0: at least that first one, doesn't really help matters much. <laughs>
1: well, it doesn't, but okay, let's just say even, because okay, this this all does make sense to me, but it it doesn't really disrupt the way that I was experiencing the movie the second time. Because once I, at least in my head, for what I was confusing it to be, but what I was going with was that timetable, Right. it actually still helped me make sense of everything. Because yeah, I yeah. was able to watch each one of these storylines happen with the idea of a more understood sense of when this was happening. And so even when it hit nighttime, even in my head, I'm mean, like, oh yeah, that's right, because it's a week, but okay, scratch it, that's wrong. But even still, I'm like, well, it does take more time over here. So that's why it's night. Exactly. And that's why we're still seeing this. So I was able to actually piece together the structure it just happened to be for the wrong reasons apparently. <laughs> well
0: no, exactly, as long as you understand that like let's call it yes. let's call it two days. Two days are passing on the yeah. beach or like a day and a yep. half on the beach, a day
1: on a the day boat on the and boat. then an
0: hour in the plane. Towered and air. you understand like if if he put all of this in order the stu- or better said if he had a, for every jump cut if he put a title card up which would be terrible. Every time we're yeah, back yeah. at Tom Hardy it would be like you know, I mean, what, what the hell was it final? It would be like June 1st, 1940, 1000 hours. And then when we cut back to him, it'd be like June 1st, ni- 1940, 10, 10 hours. Whereas on the beach, we'd be making much bigger leaps in time. We're making much bigger leaps on the beach. Yeah. Like we don't see that boat get filled with water, but then we jump back and it's full of water. So we're, whereas we're not cutting any time out of Tom any Hardy, time, out. nothing, basically yep. like, that, that mission is, is all there. It's all captured. But it's, this is what makes it going back and rewatching. it so fun because, you know, yeah, there's no need for a movie like this to have that structure. But that's what adds another layer to it that I know annoys the hell out of some people. I know, like my dad, it's confusing and loud. Like, I get it. I totally do. But
1: it it helps distinguish the movie unlike any other war film, honestly. A hundred percent. And when it all comes together in the very end, like it does give you like that. Oh wow! Yeah. And now we're all together here. Yep. Now it's all like like I I love that. I thought that was really cool. Even though apparently I was thinking of it the wrong way, but but I still connected it the same way, which I hadn't certainly not done the first time. I I, I really liked it. I I thought this was um especially for a movie that not a lot of dialogue, right? But yet. You are, you do understand the stakes and the reality of what this particular war battle is doing and, and the tension that happens in every bit of the scenes. Tom Hardy does a really great job with just his eyes in this, in this thing. I
0: mean, you see that fucking guy make the decision. I mean, you see him decide, he's like, I'm out of gas. This is the moment. If I go back, I live and I'm, it's safety with my other men. Or... There's, they still have trouble here. I need to go help out, and then I'm I'm either going to die or get captured. And you, yep. and that's I mean that's it. And you see him make the d- decision with his eyes. It's fascinating.
1: It's funny. Uh, it feels like Christopher Nolan just wants to constantly put one mask on Tom him. Yeah. his face, hide his face every time. It was I mean that I him.
0: that scene when you know his buddy, he's like he's on me, and just way well, he goes, I'm on him is so like it just gives me chills the way Artie says. Yeah, it. he's just down there, and then um. Tarantino's talked a lot about this movie. This is his second favorite movie of the 2010 decades. He loves wow. this movie, loves it. Social network being number one. And he said when he saw this, he got to see this in a theater in London. And when Kenneth Brana, you know, it's waiting, it's waiting. That tension, the music, and he just says home with like tears yeah. in his eyes. Tarantino was like the place fucking lost it. Like that's how much this movie and that moment means over there to them and I love that cuz I've always really liked that line delivery and the music just its great. up. Oh, it's so great. And it's also su- it also says something that like that clicking watch should be annoying as all hell, but it's just not. Like it helps, you know, yeah. it's a part of the score and it helps keep it moving. It's oh god, I really love it. It's such a thrill. And again, uh surprisingly one of my favorite three watch and I want to, you know, we haven't mentioned Hoyte van Heutman Yet, I mean, God, he's just – he has taken over the scope of Nolan's vision so well. First with Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet. Can't wait to see what he does with Oppenheimer. So excited. Yeah. He uses IMAX cameras better than anyone. I'm convinced.
1: It, it, it's, it's, it, he's, he's incredible. Yeah. Or no, he's, he's, uh, he's very credible. He's very
0: credible. Well, I mean, his skill set is a little incredible. Two in a row for you. Two hard ones in a row. Here we go, uh. baby interstellar uh as the rankings revealed i don't know what to say i love it this is a film i can openly acknowledge has faults it is 169 minutes long and you feel that not every performance is even i agree with that but i I don't know those faults don't diminish the film kind of like what you were saying with inception you acknowledge the faults and they don't take you out they don't ruin it and in interstellar they just don't matter for me. I mean, far be it for me to tell Nolan how to assemble his films or who to cast in his films, but, but you're not going to get a fight from me on any issues that you have with it. I just, you know, I've read almost every issue that's been raised about this film and I think they're fair. But, uh, with that said about interstellar, tell me how you feel about it. Cause this is the one I think we'll probably have the most back and forth on, but again,
1: I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to fight you. No. And 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 I, and I don't, and I, and I, and again, like I am in, you don't want it to be a shit
0: show. I get it. You're no we're not
1: here shitting on it yet,
0: but I do want no. you to
1: be honest. Cause I, yes. I'd love to talk it out. Yeah. Because I want to like this movie so badly. I think there's so many awesome things. Well, number one, I love space. I love everything about it. So when I heard Nolan was doing a movie in space, I was like, Oh, this is going to be so cool. And I love so much. I love the time stuff. I love the, I love McConaughey. I love, uh, there, there, there's so much about this movie that I really do like. And when this movie does hit, it hits really, really hard. But there are just some things that happen in this movie that I just, it ruins it. It ruins it. And I hate it. I hate it. Give I hate me one. It. I hate it. Start with one. All right. just start, pick one, random. The first one, the first thing that bothers me. So they get the coordinates to the uh, to NASA through the uh, like this the dust storm comes yeah. and and the gravity thing happens yeah. and they get the coordinates. It was the ghost. The ghost did that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. First off, knowing what happens in the end, why the fuck does he give them the coordinates? <laughs> well, because you got to save the world. Okay. All right. What do you mean? Come on! I'm not even here to argue with you. But that's no, but but got- the whole the, no. Then the whole entire thing. But then when you get to when he's in the fifth dimension, he's not gonna thing. Everything is to stay. It's like don't go, that's what don't he keeps, go, don't do exactly, it. exactly.
0: But it, that is not what's happening. That's what's. I think that's where the. Uh, the very cheesy aspect of the movie, the love aspect kind of comes into yes. it. Yeah, so I again, but then, I, I'm not here to fight you again. I no, 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 no. I hear what you're saying.
1: I, my my point of contention with that is, is that if everything that we see in the fifth dimension part of it is all that cheesy love stuff, then there needs to be a moment where we have a, all right, yeah, but we do need to save the world. I but need to yeah. show how the...
0: Because you also got to keep in mind that in that fifth dimension stuff, McConaughey did not know what was going to happen if he was going to get there. So when he's saying like, "Don't, don't let me meet, don't let me leave, Murph, don't let me leave," yeah, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He this could probably be the last moment of his life. Like, so maybe well, of he thinks, yeah, so maybe he thinks if I don't leave, maybe I get to like go back and spend another day with her, and then everyone fucking dies. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that's just all he's thinking at the time because he doesn't know what else to do. But then I think he realizes, no, I got to give her the coordinates and do all that shit. Yeah. I, yeah, I just get don't have issues it. with it. Yeah. It,
1: yeah. This it, it, is this even a big one. I'm going to let that one go. That, that all one's right. one that I'm, that I just, I'm like, all right, I, you know, the whole entire thing that you're doing over here is to, to stay and you're trying to do this, but you know, whatever you want, it, the coordinates are fine. You go to NASA, <laughs> top secret, the most secret space in the whole entire world. And uh, according to them, and yes, like this was your like Michael Kane, This was your like pupil at one point. But then you just open up everything, like just yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you're here. Um, here is the whole situation. And then they ask him like the equivalent of him being there for like an hour. We need you, McConaughey. You got gotta go the best save pilot the world, I've ever bud. seen. Yeah. You got to go see the world, like. He wasn't even going to come here like these were this was a random chance. So who were you? What was your plan? Who are you going to get to do this mission? Right. You know, it's just so happens McConaughey shows up and then they preface I'm the, again. No, no, no. It's,
0: it's very, very convenient. It, I think when very they, convenient, I think when he reveals that there's some sort of gravitational pull in my daughter's bedroom, I think that clues them into like all right, that he's he's a step above just being a good astronaut. Maybe there's some other type of understanding here. Is it very convenient? Of course it is. It, it all happens. The dude decides in like less than two hours that yeah. he'll, he'll probably never see his kids again. He never does yeah. see his
1: son again. Yeah. Yeah, he never does. And so, okay, so there's that. But then, then, then really, I, I love all the stuff in space. Oh, you
0: do? Okay, cool.
1: Yeah, I love all the space stuff. None of that bothers me. I'm one of the few people, because I've heard a lot of a lot of people who like this movie that got one complaint with it. It's one of the things I like most about the movie is Matt Damon. I think Matt Damon's awesome in this.
0: I think the read on him is people actually don't like the character. And the character is a whiny oh, course, little yeah. coward. But yeah. I think he plays that perfectly. So I, well. I like him a lot in it. I will say the first Three or four times, I had no fucking clue what his motivation was. I didn't know the first four, th- three or four times I saw this movie, I did not get what he was doing. I, and it, that's still a little hard. Do you get what he's doing? Like yeah. the first
1: time you saw it? Well, not the first time I saw it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not the first time, but like, like even on Pond Rewatch, like, I, well, one, he was not counting on ever being saved. Yeah. Like, Sure. When, sure. so, and I love that first line where he's just, when he, when he comes out and he's just like, pray you. Are you not- Never know what it like what what it means to see another human face. Like I love that. Pray you. Like what if, what if, it's such like a when you learn his character, it's such a perfect line. Like Yeah. Pray you. Never have to know this. Um no, because you can actually watch him. He is leading them in the direction he wants them all to go. Yeah. Like he's yeah. even his people are even like his uh his his robot. Well, I forgot his name. It's like his equivalent of Tars. Right. It, it, like the guys, like should I actually go in here and like you know turn him on so we can get information? No, 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 no! no, Don't do that. Like that's 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 yeah. uh, We we decommissioned him. He yeah he he was faulty. We decommissioned him. Yeah, you can see all the ways that he is little by little plotting to get because he's trying to mutiny. Yeah, he he he's got his mission. He knows what. What what it is? So I've always not the first viewing it was, it was shocking because I didn't know, but every other time I'm like, oh yeah, I see his little little subtleties, his little. But things his mission to s- is to
0: get to that remaining planet to try to set up the colony, right? That's what he's because yeah, McConaughey's his, his like McConaughey's like, fuck you all. My daughter's old. I'm quitting this. I'm going home. Yep. We just found out Plan A was all bullshit from the get. So I'm going home. Yep. I help you all, and then damon hears that and he's like i can't let you do that because then you're gonna trigger to the whole world that this is futile so i can't let you do that i have to go on to the next planet the first few times i saw it i thought damon was trying to go back to earth and i was mistaken and oh. i thought he was being selfish in that way but instead yeah. he put out this distress signal which is where the cowardice comes in to get off of this planet knowing that his planet was not inhabitable at
1: all so i get all that yeah. now but it's just it took me a while it's a leap. Yeah, it is a leap. It is a leap. Um, but not as big as the leap I'm about to complain about. Give it to me. All right. So, so it basically starts where, for whatever reason, Casey Affleck doesn't want to save his son. It's just, I don't understand why he doesn't want to take him to the doctor. But for whatever reason, Casey Affleck, in it, knowing full well him and his wife know full well that. Their son is not handling the dust well. And the doctor, Topher Grace, tells them, Well, we need to leave immediately to get your son help. They're like, No, we're not leaving.
0: Yeah. Casey Affleck is making a very deliberate but odd choice that is very muted and down low. That doesn't, he's never really, he doesn't do that much in his. Performance, but I don't know. I
1: guess it's not Casey Efflux's fault. It, yeah, it, I, I
0: guess to throw it, that away it would be because their first kid died already. From maybe they took him to a doctor and he had Duster like, Well, fuck it. If he's gonna die anyway, I'm not gonna take him to a doctor. But it is so hard. He's so hard nose. He's so stubborn about it. It's like, Okay, he's like, so stubborn about it. So you really it. just want your kid to die? Uh, okay, okay. I get you. But I get it, you.
1: It really feels like they just needed a reason. Because Jessica Chastain has to give him that line of like, you're just going to let your other son die like your like your first one. And so where he's like, get out and never come back. So the, the conflict is, is that Jessica Chastain needs to get back into this house after she's not allowed. So the only thing to do is to get Casey Affleck out of the house. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. going to go down. I'm going to go burn my brother's livelihood just so i can go back in the house for a reason i don't know like like she she doesn't know she just not wants to yet, go back no. in the room and just just kind of be like i hey, there might be something here and so she does this and then when she's in the room i don't and i will never understand she has given no proof like she's always had a theory like that there's a ghost behind her bookcase i'm not saying that but how she connects with no given evidence or anything. She's just staying there and she's like, dad? It's the watch. It's. It's the yeah, it's the watch. But there's still well, I, oh, I'm gonna look at a watch and just yeah, connect because
0: it. he gave it to me. So it you know it's jumping and everything. But it, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. There there there's
1: no this is the there's dumbest part no of the movie. Logical. This, this yes.
0: stretch is the dumbest part of the movie. From the kid getting sick, and of course he's cross cutting it with other stories. Yep. But the kid getting sick, burning down the field. Topher Grace yelling, "Hurry up, hurry up!" Casey Affleck driving back.
1: It's all an unneeded amount of tension that he's so, ratcheting with, up. Uh, and and just the connections that we're expected to just accept that she's making without any logical help along the way, it just bothers me. But then it even bothers me even more where Casey Affleck returns covered in dust with murderous red eyes. And she comes out and she's holding the watch and she's like, it's dad. Yep. It's dad. That's where the He's dumbness ends the whole right there. Time. That's so and dumb. then she yeah. hugs him. And I'm like, he looks like he wants to kill you. And he's never believed any of this. Right. So to just see a woman who you are so angry with come out and be like, it's been dead. It's dead in the in the thing. And him to be like, you're right. It must be. And then hug her in return. I'm like, no, none of that. That that none of that makes any sense to me.
0: I'm shrugging and have my hands in the air because not only do I agree with you, it I, I, I do agree. I don't. I don't understand the choice that Casey Affleck is making in terms of his performance. I don't know why it just has to get that tense to me. I don't know why that all has to happen in like a 7 to 10-minute time period. It's a lot and being connected then. I don't think that he would believe her. I agree with all this. It
1: just ultimately, at the end of 169 minutes, does not matter to me. That's, that's but just no, it. no. And, yeah. And I understand. And I don't think this pro- – this, none of the characters are the problem here. The performance is right. – This is all I think, in my opinion, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think it's all in the writing. Now, perhaps there was more intended. I know Christopher Nolan has said that he wanted this to be a longer movie. I would have loved it to have been a longer movie. I would have loved it to have been over four hours and give us an intermission. And that way we can actually get into that substance a little bit more because that's my biggest disconnect with this movie is where... It it battles just making connections because the movie has to versus the ideas, the character development. Right. The character development to me in this movie is the thing that just doesn't work the most because we need – I I feel like I need a little bit more into why the whys of these people. Even McConaughey to some – like, to, you, like you, you said earlier, like he makes this decision in two hours, but – I would have liked to have seen just a little bit more of that choice. Mm -hmm. Like there's no one that says to him, Hey, we're doing this tomorrow. We don't get like that moment where he's like, well, I've got a decision to make. It just sort of happens. I would have even liked to have seen that. But all of this being said, I cry every fucking time at the end of this movie, when he is holding his daughter as an old lady's hand and he's like, how did you know that I'd be back? And she goes, because my dad made me a promise. I am out. I am losing it. Right. <laughs> God God. You traveled right. the world, the universe for you. Uh, and then I don't know if it's too soon to talk about it, but let's just talk about, one. in my opinion, one of the greatest cinematic moments of all time is that goddamn docking scene. That is,
0: I think, in the nine years since this has come out, I think that's the most thrilling movie sequence I've seen. I don't think anything has ever has ever topped that. I was sitting there on the ground floor of the ArcLight fucking dome. Sing it. And when that started, and I got what he was doing, and it took a little bit. It was just through the use of music, cinematography, yes. and fucking science. What? Yeah. With the, when the rotation syncs up with the other vessel, science. I just I was sobbing. I don't I don't even think I breathed. Yeah. It was just. The power of that, even of that one scene, seriously outweighs the faults of any uh, of the movie that I have. And a note I had for this, it's always a good barometer, for me anyway, someone who's been obsessed with movies for their entire life. And I get way far down the rabbit hole of movies and the nine years of people talking shit on Interstellar and all the takes, this take, this take. And it's all good. But my wife has no insight into any of this. Like, and she loves space. We were actually watching the special features for Interstellar the night before on Saturday night, just showing her some of the space stuff. And she was loving it. She was like, what the fuck? They're so cool. So then I showed her the movie and we usually break up long movies into two sittings. And she was engrossed the whole time. And right before it started, She's like, all right, give me your one piece of like trivia because I'll give her like one highlight thing about the movie. And I said, this movie contains a sequence that you, if you look over during the sequence, you'll see probably tears streaming down my face or yeah. chills at the very least. It's So then it became a, a running bit throughout the movie. Is that it? Is that that fucking drone like flies over the field? And she's like, is that the scene? I'm like, no, yeah. sweetie, <laughs> it's not. You'll know. And, and in my head, I'm like, one of the reasons you'll know is because you won't be able to talk during it. Yep. And then that happened. And I like I snuck a look over at her and her eyes were like bulging and she's like nodding with the organ, like nodding just like I was. Uh-huh. And then it, when it was done, she was like, that was the fucking scene. I went, yes, it was. Yep. <laughs> yes, it was. Yep. It, I mean, I'm getting chills talking about it. There was, I am, too. I am, too. It, you can literally show that to someone out of context and it still works. And like the special feature, so much is dedicated to like this massive fucking organ they use. And they had this organist doing all this and pulling out all these stops to get that. And Hans and Chris are just sitting off. They're like, push it farther. Yeah. More, more, more. It, yeah, it really is. It's really just, it, it's a Titan scene. It's like uh, the trip to Jupiter in 2001. I think it belongs right up there with that. We've talked about this scene. Cause we've done, you know, Favorite movie moments, all that stuff. So yeah, favorite yeah. Uh, uh, song moments, soundtrack. This yeah. was really high. Favorite pure cinema moments, but yeah, I mean, it just it, it's. I don't think there's been another sequence just, that has topped that for me, and that's a crazy I, thing to I, say.
1: I have to agree with you. I I, I th- this this is why I say that this is the movie I would want to see in theaters even more over in some ways than yeah. Inception, because even watching that at home in my apartment, I still felt all of it. Yeah, but. To be in a theater with that sound and to be completely locked in with a group of people that are all just transfixed like that. There and and, and the, the best thing about that scene is that it's purely just physics. That's it. It's like just science. That's it. You, you're just watching one thing trying to catch up to another and then connect to it. And you can only do that in a certain way. And then but the the the, the obstacles that are in the way of it and and then like yeah just the simple reveals of what needs to be done like you just get goosebumps like 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 when she when he when he realizes oh you're just going to match rotation like that, but that's yeah. what you have to do.
0: And he throws a line away. He's like, Tars, take over if I pass out. And you're like, pass yeah. out. Yeah. And then when she goes out, I remember thinking like, is she dead? And I go, oh no, I've been to fucking carnivals. I know what it means to go to a fast yep. two round and you just, you, and that's why his fight in
1: him when you're looking at him, come on, Tars,
0: you're like, he's right
1: yep. on the edge of going out, right on the edge. And just like some of the dialogue, like it, it, it's almost silly, but it's, it. nothing will like it, it's 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 hard to believe that the line it's not possible it's necessary yeah oh it's like when when he says that you're just like i'm about to cry even right now i just yeah, feel you're like, like holy like, fuck you're, go, you're just go. like oh
0: <laughs> this is it and then uh, just and anne, anne hathaway H- coming who i actually do really like in the movie her just kind of oh. coming out of it and like they're crying and he's like Yeah, and I mean, the way Bill Irwin plays TARS, like he was on set, he was behind that guy, like actually voicing him and stuff like he's a really good character. You know, robots in sci-fi movies have a long lineage, perhaps starting with HAL 9000, like they can be a a big deal to the construction of these movies. And I, I love him. I think he
1: does it great. And he's a big part to some of the dramatic, you know, tension of the movie. Absolutely is. And another thing that I'm going to say about this movie that uh, that uh, upon all of my 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 nitpicking things for it is that this movie has my all time favorite crying scene. Oh, really? Just in all of film? When I assume when he's watching. Okay, he's watching the playback.
0: Yeah, yeah. When he's watching the playback, that was like when Allie was watching it. She went when they came back on the ship, and the other dude is so old, and, and Hathaway's like, "Why didn't you sleep?". And a- Ali went, wait a minute, how much time? And I was like, like 24 fucking years she went. Yeah. It's like 28. She was like, oh, my God. I go, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it's such good crying. You just put the camera there.
1: You, you just, Go like off that. And go just off. watching him because you're also taking in the context of what's happened, because it is a scene where you are putting yourself in the character's shoes because you're imagining yeah. what it must be like to watch what he's watching, but you're internalizing that. Mm -hmm. But then just his, his performance during that. It's just, it's, I, I'm not a big fan of crying necessarily on film because sometimes I think it's, it's never really a time where it's really needed. I think a lot of times people performances will end up crying just because I don't know. I'm always skeptical, skeptical about crying scenes. And and this is also too like it's not just like that 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 beautiful like sensitive tear moment. this no, is this sobbing, is sloppy sobbing. I'm just wondering if I want to commit to saying that it's my favorite movie cry of all time, but I'm really struggling to kind of think of something that beats it. Because I'm I'm I, like for all of what the scene achieves, so it's not just the performance; it's everything about yeah, what we're seeing, yeah. what we're gathering. I don't think anything hits is harder. Like, it, that's just such an earned moment. And it's all being done through his performance and and, and what the movie has led us to. It's just, it's a, it's a breathtaking moment. Beautiful, beautiful work. I love when
0: Chastain comes on camera for the first time and he just, like, studies, you know, the monitor and he's like, hey, Murph, uh-huh. and just whispers out, hey, Murph. It's like, yep. oh, man. Yeah, it's really great. And then what a great uh, you know jump cut from Oh yeah, it, or her video ending to boom. Now we're in the studio with her, or you know, or NASA with her. It's I like, wrote oh, that. cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, I love that cut. He's he's a very very audacious editor. He will cut out of scenes, especially in Interstellar. He'll cut out in the middle of sentences a lot, and it helps like yeah. really move it along. Even even though what he's cross cutting to often like the you know crops on fire and stuff is maybe a little bit silly as we mentioned, but I'm glad. I These are the type of conversations I love where you have faults with a movie, but then you're able to acknowledge some strengths about it as well. Oh. And even if it means in the long run, Interstellar is not one of your favorite Nolan films, you're still able to acknowledge that it has some tremendous achievements, which it does. And, and that, that's what I hate it, is it, when it, someone oh. like decides yeah. they don't like a movie. They're like, no, it all fucking sucks. I'm like, well, then uh, that's just not. Well, what are we talking about here? Like, uh, you know. Come on, this has some things that you have to
1: acknowledge are <laughs> really well done. <laughs> it, oh my God, be, beyond more than well done, and even the Dark Knight Rises, I feel like that too. Like there's yeah, just certain yeah. moments. That's what I mean about Nolan. As, as forgiving as sometimes you might have to be with some of, of of his movies, there is just an undeniable like these movie moments that he creates are movie moments that like are, are truly one of a kind. They will live on forever. And this movie's got a few of them, yeah. Like that, like uh, that's the thing. So I'll never like. I I just want to like this movie so much more than I do because I have such a hard time as a whole with it. But I don't think I'd ever turn down watching it, yeah. Because uh, I cause I also enjoy just it being on. Like but you don't want to watch it again, right? <laughs> I, I I no, I would watch it again. I dark night rises i don't know if i want to watch again oh but fair, this fair. one if someone was to if we were all out together and you're like hey let's watch a movie and someone like put out, says interstellar and i don't have a say in the matter <laughs> i can make that happen <laughs> i know i i like the last thing i said there's so much for this movie that bothers me as a whole but overall the moments that are undeniable are truly undeniable, and I want to watch those again, and I actually enjoy watching the movie. I just can't take it seriously when it wants me to. That's it.
0: Okay, well, this, is, uh, this is definitely a more balanced take than I was expecting, given some of our text exchanges. So I like this. I like hearing this. I, I get to... You acknowledge its silliness. I totally get it. Eureka. <laughs> yeah, Eureka, baby. Well, uh... I have one note to start off here for our our next film, The Dark Knight Rises. The note is, go off, Nick. (laughs) I want to hear it because one of the first conversations you and I ever had about movies, you just – I was like, oh, so you don't like The Dark Knight Rises? And you you were driving and you just went off about it. God. And you kept going. You were like, it's got to be one of the worst ones. And I think you would – you had just seen like guardians of the galaxy part two and you were comparing and you were like, I'd rather see that again than sit through the fucking dark Knight rises. And I was like, really? And yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but you, I-, I think it's safe to say do not like this movie. I don't. And I would just love to hear the reasons why obviously a lot of people don't, this is the most shit on Nolan movie. Our rankings were clear, which we did earlier, but yeah, I want to hear some reasons. Let's go. Let's do Dark Knight Rises.
1: Well, first, I'll start with the positive because okay. yeah, we can start this movie positive. does have like it, it's not a it's not like a piece of shit. It's a Christopher Nolan movie that when it fucking works, it works. Like your the scene between uh Bale and Michael Caine on the stairs, like yeah. that is a great scene. The fight between Batman and Bane I love where that. he breaks his back is a great scene. Like there are moments of this movie that i do think are really cool but i think my biggest issue with this movie is that i do not think that this is a batman story it does not ring and every time i've watched it everything about it i was like this feels more like a story that would happen in the superman universe Mm -hmm. well also one there's way too much going on there's way There's too a much lot happening. going on. Lot going. There's on. a lot going on here, and I think it all gets uh, convoluted into itself. And I've seen this movie a bunch of times because the first time I saw it, I went with all my roommates, and we were all so excited. We, we you know, as everyone was. Everyone coming off and the then, Dark
0: night. Everyone, yeah.
1: And then we all walked out of there, being like, "I don't think I liked it." Oh wow! All and of you? Okay. okay. All of us? Yeah. Because then we just started breaking down, just given everything that he gave us, Uh just reordering the movie could have made it better. Like, just not even coming up with new things, just being like, well, if you did this scene here and then this scene here, that would have made better sense. This would have made this scene better. Just a complete re-edit of the movie with everything that happens, I think would have been better. I think they kind of missed the mark. On a lot of things, I didn't really understand what Catwoman's whole entire reason of being was for. She didn't really contribute anything.
0: She, th- she throws a few <laughs> kicks around, but I, I agree. Ish. She helps people escape, right?
1: At the end. Yeah. Kind. Like well, she kills Bane in the end. And she just yeah. comes out of nowhere with a bike and they're like, oh, okay, shit. The the Bane
0: Batman backbreak fight is an all timer for me. The final yes. fight with Bane is bad. It's just bad. Yeah, it's, it, it's bad. not good. It's not. It's not good uh, for every for a lot of the pluses I have for this movie, I typically have a negative counter too.
1: It's really a shame how easily he gets taken out at the end. And uh, I, I go let me go back to that comic book thing. The the reason that I think this is more of a Superman story is because basically as the story goes on, like really, this Gotham has been completely taken over in a way that happens more in like. When Superman villains want to take over. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a bomb that's going to drop. And Superman always grabs the bomb and literally takes it to the ocean. Right. So it can it can, it can bomb off there. Now, coincidentally, do I kind of wonder to myself that, well, at the same time that this movie was being written, because they had to rewrite this movie because they had a whole entire part for this was going to be a continuation of a Joker. This was going to be Joker part two. That's why it's left uh, open-ended in the dark Knight. They had it written. It was a go. They had it written. Yeah. So they had to do a whole new rewrite and they were also writing at the same time, this first Superman movie with Henry Cavill. Yep. So I kind of wonder if there was a little bit of like, you know, um, uh, jumbled ideas that were being filtered into each other. To kind of make this this story and just the scope, because like Batman's stories always kind of dealt with a little bit more of a grounded danger. It was always one criminal who had one little plan to kind of. It was always to kind of like beat Gotham, but like Joker, like that was a perfect example of what a Batman villain does. I'm gonna take this city and 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 turn it into something that it's not, and I'm gonna like I'm gonna make them choose. I'm gonna Turn it against themselves, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and because Batman's a detective. He's the world's greatest detective. Goddamn right. He's not the world's greatest superhero, like, is Superman. So now you've got this huge story where the entirety of Gotham is taken over by these two people. It was just a little bit much, and then, like, the way that, like, Gotham's people were living in shambles... Right, and, right, and hiding it, it out. Was, and yeah, it, it was just a little bit much for me, and I didn't really get the whole Talia, Bane. Like, I didn't really. I, I, am one of the people that didn't really understand that choice, mm-hmm. and and but I didn't think it was a bad choice. I just didn't really get it. I was sort of like, okay, Bane. You know, Bane reminded me of this. Bane reminded me of in the Dark Knight Returns, which is a really great graphic novel. There is the villain in that, and I'm uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name, but he is this giant monster type person that is trying to take over Gotham. He is speaking intelligently and he uses his uh might and um intelligence to defeat Batman. I think this actually played much more like that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why not just do that? Why do not just that. like, yeah. Screw- yeah, like, so there were all these things that were happening. I was like, well, why don't you just do this instead and just do this instead? The whole entire theory of Gotham cities, people hating on Batman, I thought that could have been so much more, like, by the end when you got the whole city fighting, could you imagine if the whole entire time everyone hated Batman and then only in its darkest time that they're like, we need him and he rises <laughs> and then everyone, everyone's like yes and they all fight <laughs> together what a missed opportunity <laughs> what a missed
0: opportunity son of a bitch yeah i mean anyways a lot of i've been shitting
1: on this movie for too long
0: a lot of people agreed with you
1: i just you made a shitload of money but do yeah. you like tom hardy
0: as bane i'll put it one of the things i like about the movie is i really believe that dude could kick the shit out of
1: batman so yes. i mean he he sells that he looks like a huge chunk of meat <laughs> i overall like it more than i don't like it that's fair. I think I just, the whole entire time was just confused because again, like I'm like, well, Bane is not a, I, uh, this is a little mean. He's not, he's not a smart guy. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and, sure. and until we find out that he is really just, you know, the big enforcer, but up until that point, we're to believe that he is the, the brains and brawn of this operation. And, and sometimes I couldn't understand what he was saying. Fair, um, fair. but, uh, I didn't I did not mind the choice. I like I said overall liked it more than I didn't like it. But it was just sort of like, huh. All right. That's a that's a that's a that's a swing. Yeah. I think my biggest surprise
0: the first time I saw it was when they were, you know, down there in Bane's like lair and he explodes the ceiling and the fucking like Batmobile drops down and I was like, oh my god, they're under the Wayne Enterprises. Like that's crazy. I just I love that. That's a cool reveal. So that always Is fun. But all the issues that people have about this movie are things that I could point out about the other two. That's usually what I say. I enjoy myself, you know, fine with it. But you know, the rankings are what they are. But I yeah, I I don't know what else is there to say about the Dark Knight Rises. It's long, really tested people's patience. I like seeing William Devane, William Devane as the president, big William Devane fan rolling thunder. (laughs) I don't know. Why go with that take for the death scene of Marianne Coutillard? What? I mean, everyone's talked about this, but I w- – w- why? W- why do that? I, Christopher Nolan is a good director. Christopher Nolan has directed a lot of characters dying. Marianne Coutillard has died a lot on film. She dies in uh, other Christopher Nolan movies on film, and it's very believable. We've all seen Marianne Coutillard die. I, I, I will never get it. Every time I rewatch this movie, I'm like, just pay attention. Let's see if it's as bad as it is. It is the most unbelievable, not in a good way, the most incredible, not in a good way, death scene I think I've ever seen. It's so inauthentic. Why? Why? It couldn't have been the only take. It. Why even focus on her coverage? Why not just cut back when she has her death, cut back to like bail and then cut back to her slumped over? Why show that? I've never
1: understood that. It's bafflingly bad. It's it's a very bad death scene. It's probably my, it's probably, uh, I care about that least in
0: terms of my (laughs) problems with the movie. That's so funny. I probably care about that most in terms of my problems, but oh my God, that's funny. 2010, I was going to ask you if it's still in your top 10 of all time, Inception. Why don't you tell me about how this one Noting, you know, the all-timers, how does it hold up for you when you watch it for this podcast?
1: Okay, so I, I betrayed Nolan a few times in my re-watches for this because I, wa- I re-watched Dunkirk on my phone, which uh, I'm sure if I told Nolan that just he would as not he be intended. happy. Just, yep, as, he just as he intended. And then even worse, I rewatched Inception on my, my flight. <laughs> With the world's worst earphones, oh, I had that's to bad. fucking pay three dollars for these earphones Savage. to hook we're up. We're gonna have to start paying thing. for
0: fucking water on flights. I'm oh, telling you, uh, yeah, yeah. We're gonna have and, to
1: start paying to use the bathroom. Just wait, and per minute. I am not kidding when I say that these were the worst earphones I've ever experienced. <laughs> like the, I had to turn the sound all the way up just to so even hear muffled dialogue. And then I had to put the closed captions on just because I couldn't tell what the fuck anyone was saying. Then the music hits and it's the huge, and now it's too loud because my eardrums are about to fucking burst and it's all broken. Like, none of the sound is clear. It was the worst rewatch I've ever had. (laughs) But that all being said, it was the first time that I watched Inception with closed captions. Mm Mm-hmm. Captions fucking changed Tenet for me completely, completely. Putting Inception on closed captions for the first time, I actually caught bits of dialogue that I never caught before that actually clued me into more things that were uh, explained. And I go, holy shit, I never even really thought about that. That was very cool. But uh, even still, upon rewatch, this movie still... It, it makes me feel all the things that, I, that I, I get with it before. Meaning you love it. Meaning, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, love it.
0: Sure, sure. One thing about captions, because it's a very important topic, while we're on this very important topic, sometimes I feel like I can come off as a bit chastising for people. I'm like, watch your movies with captions. I've come to understand, researching this topic quite a bit, that it legitimately can be difficult for some people to do that. And I think that's like to watch a movie and read the captions at the same time. It's, it's a bounce for me. back and forth. And it can be from literally looking up, down, up, down. That can be hard for some people. I I like it. It's for me. But if it isn't for you, if it's distracting, you don't do it. But I always, I've always, i always advocated for that because I just like to know as much about my movies as possible. And sometimes captions can actually be very revealing especially as we move on here to when <laughs> nolan's gonna get very very creative with his sound mixing and dialogue is not the most important part of sound in some of his scenes but yeah yeah that's it, interesting sucks and the he, sound sucked on the plane though
1: he, yeah. oh it was terrible it, it was it was it, it some of the most emotional moments of the movie were ruined <laughs> just because of yeah. the damn earphones but um no you're right though because every time i like Closed captions are not my preferred way of watching because I do get distracted. I feel like I'm just reading where if it's another language i it's different like I'm sure still sure still following the visuals, but when it's English, I'm just sort of like all, always like why am I reading what I'm hearing and and i and i'm I'm bouncing back and forth and I'm not even watching the visuals, but anytime I have watched a English movie in closed captions, I do discover things that I never caught. And and they are informative and they are revealing. So to th- that, that's a very, very true thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, what
0: else about Inception other than it's uh, close captioning? <laughs> uh, a lot of the, we've talked about first reactions, like when you're the first time you saw a Nolan movie, and I've always treated them as an event. And because of the Dark Knight, the prestige memento, I was extremely excited for Inception, as a lot of us were. It made a shitload of money. And I will tell you, seeing this, on a massive IMAX screen at the Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. It was awesome. That hallway fight when Joseph Uh. Gordon-Levitt just started crawling, and I got what they were doing, and I was like, this is not visual effects. They might be, like, on wires for safety, but this they're doing a 2001 thing here, an in-camera trick, and the chills I got, and it just, like, nodding my head in, like, fervent agreement, like, yes, yes, and the fucking music's going and the car's going off the bridge. I That may have been, like, just one of the best set pieces I have ever experienced in a movie theater up in that time, and I never thought it would outdo itself. Certainly, I never thought Nolan would outdo himself until I saw Interstellar, quite frankly, but still, that yeah. whole thing and in Inception, I love a lot of Inception, but that... Hallway fight and just when the gravity goes, holy Christ, it's thrilling. I bet it even works on an an airplane monitor. I bet it still works. You know when you're watching, yeah, that that scene still
1: gets you. Like, it's it's more it's more what you miss out on at least on the plane is the the, yeah the emotional part of the story. Yeah, you know, sure, sure. Like, and that to me, that to me, above all else, has always been the thing that I love the most about this. I love leo's character not being able to let go of this love and then you get to like see how like fucked up it is (laughs) like yeah like yeah like like it's so funny because leo's character in this movie is a complete fuck up (laughs) he totally is yeah and i'm saying he screws up everything some people (laughs) have called this out as a fault of the
0: movie i think it kind of endears me to him a little more like i I think it's all intentional i don't think he's like you know nolan has a few uh dips his toe into james bond territory a few times this is james bond ish he's never did something this like you know cool and dreamy and all that shit but um limbo you know james bond never did limbo yeah but yeah there there's some stuff of that where he's not uh perfect and i mean he flat out lies to all of them about why they're doing this yeah yeah if he doesn't even tell any of them that oh yeah if you die under there you're fucking you're cooked you're yeah basically kent wananabe how long did he have to live like that he was down there for decades for decades
1: (laughs) yeah oh my god and um and and there must be something about like the whole like because this movie is also chock full of exposition And, um, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, we'll get to that.
1: Yes. But I loved every second of it because I thought it was Mm -hmm. all so interesting. Like I, I love dreams. I love time. So all of these things that are happening every time I watch it, I'm not even scrutinizing it, even though I know I could, I'm just like, "Uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh yes. Whoa. I am doing exactly what he wants. He intended the audience to just be blown away with every new bit of information and every little like thing that he's telling you to follow. I understand that if you are coming at it from a, not that point of view, that Mm -hmm. it's probably a little bit daunting and probably a little silly.
0: Yeah. it, It was never silly for me. The thing is this was inception and all the exposition scenes in inception were probably the hardest part of my Nolan rewatch, but is that a fault to the film, or is it because I've seen the movie like fifteen fucking times, and it's and I I know all these scenes, and I put myself through this so many times, and it's like. I, I don't think that's honestly a fault of the movie. It may just be like I watched it too much in, you know, 12 years or 13 years or something. Because also during a lot of those exposition scenes, that's when he's like folding the city in on itself or all that shit's exploding. Yeah. And he's yeah. showing you all this cool shit at the same time. So I can't even critique the movie for that, honestly. It just – it it moves. It's so original and I I just <laughs> – My argument for Inception, for Interstellar, even for Tenet, is that, and among some of other Nolan's films, is that, again, at least we have one guy who's able to get $160 million from one studio to make an original screenplay, which this was. Like, that's crazy. That's a huge swing. I don't even know if they would let him do that. We're going to see if he's given, you know... 160 million again to make an original movie. I mean, again, Oppenheimer is based on like it's not huge IP, but it is a true story, but I love that. I just love that we have someone who was able to take as big of a swing an in inception as he did. With inception so, as he did. What's your what are your things about this movie that kind of irk you? That was it, just the exposition. Oh, That's it. Just it the was exposition. just that exposition. And that was honestly just at this on this watch, nothing about it really irks me. Like I I love the way Tom Hardy plays Eames. I think he's so yeah. just kind of wry and loose. I love that. I love Tom Baringer. I'm I'm just a he's one of my favorite character actors. That scene when um Ken Watanabe is like mistaking and think that thinking Tom Hardy is, you know, mimicking yeah. Tom Behringer and then he and then he's trying to get his attention and Tom Hardy comes and like does the wave off. And Watanabe's like, I'm sorry, I thought you were someone else. And the way Barringer goes, good looking fellow, I'm sure. I love that. <laughs> I think that's fucking hilarious. No, um, honestly, one of my favorite moments, of course, the hallway fight. But I wrote about this years ago when Killian Murphy spots Leo in the airport as Leo's yeah. leaving and does like that triple take with his eyes. It that so perfectly captures have I seen that guy before? Or like, was he in a dream? Like that fogginess of it. And it lasts for like a fraction of a second. And that's, that's it. But no, there's nothing. I think this is a movie that was so thrilling for me when it came out. I mean, the dark Knight, I saw three times in the theater in four days inception. I probably saw like five, six times in its run. So it's just something like when you watch it over and over and over, and it's a fun movie to show people for the first time. Cause oh, there's yeah. so much to it. So I've seen it by virtue of just doing that a few times. But that's all it you know if you've if you watch inception 2 3 times total it you're going to learn something new every single time as i did but now
1: that i've figured the whole thing out you know i'm like i'll probably take several years off until i watch this again the, and that's fine the the only thing that i say about this one is that i think this is the first movie in nolan's legacy where it really matters seeing it on the big screen versus at, at not because yeah. Yeah, because I obviously I saw it when it came out a bunch of times in theaters because I was obsessed with it. Then I got the Blu-ray and would watch it at home and I would notice the difference. But then, you know, oh, 10 yeah. years goes by and, it, you don't. Know, you know, it's been I, I've seen it so many times. I don't think about it. In 2019, it played in L.A. at the Egyptian theater. And it's been the first time since I'd seen it on the big screen since 2010 when it came out. The experience was so palpably different being in a theater with it and getting hit with the music getting hit with the visuals i still watch the dark Knight and on a tv screen and i'm 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 cool i don't feel like i'm really missing out um there are certain things that do look better like when all this shit that's filmed in imax like when he's on top of the uh the uh huge tower in china
0: oh i yeah, mean that's like so cool you, like oh you can't God.
1: beat that on a big screen but as a whole of the movie i can i can I can be fine watching that at home, but inception I think is that first one that truly makes a difference, and I don't think that there's any movie nolan has done since starting with inception moving forward that works as well as it does on the big screen oh cool that's that's
0: an interesting prompt honestly that's i yeah, we'll hold on to that well actually, I'll just do it now I'll do it now. Alamo, the movie theater chain is replaying. Every Christopher Nolan movie, I actually maybe maybe not the Batmans and not following, but everything else. now like after we record this, so like in August into into September as a way to commemorate Oppenheimer, obviously. So if you only had time for one,
1: which one would you go to? It would be Inception. (sighs) You're going to you're going to you're going to go crazy about this answer. Yes, it would probably be Inception. But if I had an asterisk, it would be Interstellar. Oh, awesome. Okay, yeah. Hold table that for a little bit. That's awesome. Because I have, I have a theory upon my rewatch of that movie that I said to myself, I will never put myself through this experience again <laughs> unless it's on a big screen. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay.
0: <laughs> and now we move on to the movie that completely fucking ruined the Academy Awards. Ah, uh, yes. I yes, love yes. The Dark Knight. It's not The Dark Knight's fault. But whoa, were a lot of people pissed when one of the biggest and best movies in all of cinema history, this thing, was a titanic fierce in the summer of 2008. Everyone was talking about it. It was People were talking about it for tragic reasons. People were talking about it for good reasons because the movie was really good. It got nominated for eight Oscars, but it did not get a Best Picture or Best Director nomination. A lot of people were pissed at the exclusion of a best picture nomination so the next year the academy for seemingly random reasons bumps up their best picture voting to up to 10 nominees and i and they changed to preferential voting ballot that is all um it's largely been accepted now that that is because of the dark night and they thought that oh shit if we would have nominated that and not nominated Oh, God, I don't know. The fucking Reader? Like, what? Uh, The Reader? If we would have nominated The Dark Knight instead of The Reader, or instead of The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, or Frost Nixon. I think those are the Best Picture nominees. Or Milk. I like Milk. Or I do too, but is it better than The Dark Knight? If they would have nominated for that, maybe more people would have watched the Oscars. Instead, they nominated Slumdog Millionaire for a shitload of stuff. They give it eight awards. So that's always been the argument. And the Oscars have never been the same. But... I love The Dark Knight. <laughs> you love this one. I thought this would be higher on your ranking, though. I did. I
1: do, too. But uh, I think that this movie is, um, I'm man, this is, this is going to be a tough one. Um, He's not getting up. I, I think this movie's <laughs> got a lot of issues in a lot of different. Oh, I, I didn't know about any of this. I thought yeah. you
0: loved this movie. I want to hear oh, about I do. This. No, I do. This is the thing. Like, I do. I love yeah. it. I love it. I, I didn't know you had any issues with it. I genuinely didn't because I do too. I have issues with this one that help back up my counter arguments to the Dark Knight Rises because a lot of people hate on that one. And I think a lot of the shit people hate on in Rises is also in the Dark Knight. So I've always found it fascinating that no one, see, most people don't apply that level of criticism to the Dark Knight. But I would love to talk about this. I can't wait to hear.
1: So the, the 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 one issue that I have with it and this is this is no big deal. Like again, this is uh, I, again like everything I'm about to say about this, I love The Dark Knight and I think that it it deserves all of the reputation that it has. But there were always a few things that just sort of like I always kind of pointed out and I was like, "Well, you know, there's this exposition. Let's just start with the exposition." Okay, I I can't stand the first 15 minutes of this movie Mm -hmm. after the bank scene. Okay, after that, we get all of this very fast exposition of um, the investigation for Batman is ongoing and we're getting Mm -hmm. to know Gotham. We're getting to know what's going on. And and yeah, like but like. That scene where Batman meets Gordon in the bank vault. Yeah. And it and he just sort of shows up. I'm like, would they really be having a conversation this casually, like right here? This was honestly something that I did think was handled a little bit better in the newest Batman with Robert Pattinson, where they brought Batman in to yeah, these things. Exactly. And everyone's and got the, an
0: opinion. Right. Everyone's yep. got an opinion. But Gordon, Jeffrey Wright is like, fuck you guys, he's with me.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. Like good point. so, so but just these very, very quick like scenes that we need to just get to the story. Mm-hmm. I actually think Batman Begins handles this better in exposition than I think the Dark Knight does. Um, oh, but all that being said, that's very nitpicky. It does not ruin my experience with the movie whatsoever. But they were things that I still every time I watch it, I kind of just like, oh man, this is a we got to get to the big scene here. And then my biggest thing, and I don't think this is a fault of the movie at all, but um, Batman, in my opinion, is not the protagonist in this story whatsoever. And I think it's a little bit of a problem because this is who is the way that the movie presents itself to me. Harvey Dent is the protagonist in this story. I totally agree with everything you're saying. I can't believe we've never talked about this. Like. So because clearly Joker's the antagonist, clearly, because um, he's the one coming in. Yeah, like clearly this is the enemy of for everybody. But Harvey Dent is the one that's trying to do something. He's the one who's on a mission. And even Batman, Bruce Wayne is just sort of like I love the the um, that that plot of Batman wanting to give everything up. I love that dinner scene where he's, si- he's trying to find a white knight. I love that he's sizing
0: yeah. up Harvey at, you know, are, good, are you the mass yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's great. And, and, and all that plays. All that plays. It plays, but there's an aspect to this that does not track at all, which I will get to. But you mm-hmm. keep going with your point, and I'll put on a, a thread that does not track.
1: Batman is just there to fix things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. He's really just showing up because, ah, shit, this is happening. I guess I'm going to come in here and take care of this. I, I always wonder what could have possibly been done a little bit more to make Batman's hero journey in this prominent because I don't think there is one. He just wants to stop. He just mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, yeah, he just he just wants to stop doing this, and and that's fair, and that's that all works. That this has always been something I'm like, you know, Batman's not really a huge part of this thing. He's just a, a needed thing, but then. This is a complete forgiveness. It doesn't matter, but it is a giant, like gaping hole to me, is when Joker breaks up the the Harvey Dent's fundraiser party, right? Mm-hmm. The whole scene with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Yeah. And because they're in there to find Harvey Dent, right? Yeah. Like that that is their mission. They don't know Batman's gonna be there. They are there. Right. He's like, where is Harvey Dent? Harvey Dent. You seen yeah. Harvey? And, and yeah, see him, you know who he is? So Batman comes, breaks up the Joker. Maggie Gyllenhaal goes down the thing. Batman saves her. And then, and then she's like, oh, let's not do this again. And then it's over. Like Yeah, so where did Joker go? Where did Joker go? And where it happened? Like, he was there to find Harvey Dent. He just disposed of the one thing that was in his way, which was Batman. So now he doesn't have to worry about that. The mission, I, I can just imagine Joker being up there. All right. Well, I guess, I, guess I mean, that's it.
0: it's just Bruce did get Harvey in the fucking chokehold and chokes him out and so stashes him. he put him in a safe room that Joker could not get to. So they just packed up and left, I guess. I don't yes. know. I, I don't see, know. Like, Maybe the cops were coming and he doesn't want, I mean, he did just throw a fucking woman out of the window. Maybe I the mean, cops yeah. don't. So, but no, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, so the one that's thing it. in me that's it. that I've always found very silly, it does not track. Yes, it's very clear that Bruce Wayne wants to retire Batman. And to do that, he thinks he needs to find a white knight to yeah. run the city, who is Harvey Dent. So yeah. if he can get Harvey Dent to that level and make him in charge, and then Batman can retire, what happens if Batman retires? He gets Rachel. Why this doesn't track is because Rachel is clearly with Harvey Dent. So like, if yeah. Harvey Dent is, in charge of, is put in charge of saving the city, the implication that Bruce is following is that Rachel's just going to go, all right, peace out, Harvey. <laughs> Good luck saving the city. I'm gonna go catch up with my, my childhood friend Bruce, and we're gonna live happily ever after. Yeah. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, she's not gonna break up with Harvey just because Batman's not around anymore. But that's what like Bruce Wade is relying on. They even talk about it on the balcony, they, like yeah. you said, you promise if Batman was no longer a thing, like could we be together? And she's like, Yes. And then it's like then she writes the letter. It's uh, it's like, Oh, come on, man, what are you doing here? But that's what kind of honestly to me helps pay off that what I consider to be a very emotional earnest scene in Dark Knight Rises with him and Kane on the stairs. Oh like yeah. this whole this whole thing yeah. about Rachel. But still in this movie, that doesn't make any sense at all. No. It's like, dude, she's not gonna leave Harvey Dent for you just because you turn into Bruce Wayne.
1: Yeah, that that that's just not that's just <laughs> it's just not gonna happen. And then, but and then noting
0: all of that, yes, noting we should all. Should talk of about this. stuff we do like. <laughs> oh my! Because I love like all of this movie. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- speaking of uh, nothing, I mean, okay. Here's another thing that doesn't make any fucking sense. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. The very first shot of the Joker makes no fucking sense because you see him holding his mask. But we know that he's already in his full makeup. So there's just some dude standing on the street in Joker makeup, like just hanging out, like with a duffel bag. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but it makes for a really cool shot. But anyway, yeah. No, it, <laughs> yeah. It, it, but it's it's so fun to go and rewatch that robbery when you know which one is Joker, and you just see you know Heath was under there. There's no way that was a stunt person because you oh, see yeah, those yeah. like those slithery movements he has and shaking his head. Where'd you learn that account? And, you know, sh- shrugging and shaking his head. I uh, it's so good. But yeah, there's. We're we're being nitpicky and honestly, yes. kind of having a little fun at poking a little fun at a comic book movie. That's all. And yes, but yeah, I I mean, as far this is probably my favorite superhero movie. Honestly, honestly, I don't know yeah. what else
1: it would be. I don't know what else it would be either. And 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 that, yes, I mean, like these are all things that just like they're they're noticeable things, but it doesn't matter in the sweeping emotion that the movie takes you on, because yeah, yeah. like the the moments that land. And Heath Ledger's performance aside, like the, the the ride that the movie takes you on is just one of the most emotional experiences that you'll have watching a superhero movie, in my opinion. I mean, you care about everything that's happening and you're on the edge of your seat the entire time. Mm-hmm. And the action sequences are so good. Like the whole that whole truck chase thing is just it's, one of the coolest it things. It still ever. holds up. It, it still, still holds, up.
0: holds up even at home just like putting it on as a standalone scene you can put that on it's i mean watching that fucking thing flip over is remarkable it's, it's so, so thrilling cool.
1: it was thrilling in the theater i'll never forget that do you uh uh do you know that the first time that they filmed it they uh they crushed the IMAX camera oh bummer god that would have been expensive back yeah. then holy shit so there there were only I think – I might be a little bit wrong on the specifics here. There were either only two or three IMAX cameras in existence at the time.
0: Yeah, I believe that. I mean, they could – this is back when they had like eight minutes of IMAX footage in the Dark Knight, and it was a big deal. It was a big deal. holy shit. Yeah.
1: So that first take where they flipped the truck, they miscalculated where (laughs) that camera filming it was going to be. And so that thing kept cruising, and then the truck just flips on top of it. And so – Nolan has to go to IMAX and be like, hey, uh, not only did we destroy one of the very few cameras in existence, we need the other one. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: try not to break it. I'm really pissed at Wally this week, but you know. It happens. (laughs) I I mean, I love that this goes in the category. It seems pretty objectively to being a superior sequel, like pretty much everyone agrees that this is better than Batman Begins, which is not a slight toward Batman Begins at all. But I love that. I just love that that's kind of out there and the Dark Knight is widely considered to be better. I mean, God, what else to talk about? Like, yeah, you can when we did like our Heath pod, I just went and did like the Heath version of the movie and just watch every scene he was in. That's a hell of a way to spend, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes. It's so great. It really is. It's a towering achievement in acting. Of course, made all the more infamous because he passed away in January. The movie was released in July 2008. He passed away in January and that, you know, hung over the entire movie. But we still didn't know. We still didn't know how it was going to be. And keep in mind, because 2008 is like pre-crazy Twitter, People were fucking pissed when he was casting this. Oh, yeah. People were not happy. No. People did not think he was coming off Brokeback Mountain. This is not the Joker that people wanted. And, you know, of course, it's just so sad that he wasn't around to receive his accolades. I am of the firm belief that that Oscar would have been his either way, would not have mattered. And that, you know, and still, I mean, it's a major Oscar
1: for a, a comic book movie.
0: It's yeah. wild. It's wild and
1: well deserved. I, I've said it on the pod before, and it hasn't changed. It is my favorite uh, on-camera acting performance. Excuse well, me, I s- I spoke about that, and the Monty me. Clift. The, it was yes, that was my favorite singular performance on camera was Monty Clift. But my favorite acting performance I've ever seen in a movie is Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. That it, it's always been. I would always kind of begrudgingly say that because I always sort of felt like that. It was one of those things where you say something like that to another actor and they kind of roll their eyes in a way where it's like, well, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I think now that so much time has passed, damn near almost 20 years, we're at 15. 15. You know, 15, 15 yeah. years has gone by and that performance holds up and everyone feels the way that they do about it. I have no problem saying that that is because that was just the specificity and choices and the coloring that he does with what he does in this movie is just, it's just the best I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. I think his first line yeah, and he takes off that mask and mm-hmm. stranger. And then the music cues up. It's like, it still gives me chills. You're like, my God, just so locked in to, yep. and what, uh, what a scary thing that was. Cause Jack Nicholson was the only one at the time. And people loved that. People idolized yep. that. Oh God, he did so well. When you're watching movies or This one specifically, do you ever like, or after you're done, like go on, what does this character do when we didn't see them? Like, do you ever think about like the Joker? I think about it all the time. Like, what what was his day like? Like, what did, what did he do oh, yeah. when he wasn't doing this shit? Like, did he? I don't know. I love thinking about that shit. Like, what I, is he doing? I mean, I know like Todd Phillips with Joker, Joaquin Phoenix, they tried to give us some insight into that and I appreciated it. But I don't think his days were a lot like the Heath Ledger Joker days. I think there were some different stuff going on. But I just love I mean that's what he brought to that character. Is there's this whole like how did he get those scars? I mean, it's just all this shit that you can go the, down. I love it.
1: Did I did I ever uh, tell you the fan theory that uh I, I heard? It's just a fan theory about the Joker scars. No. So this is I always re- assumed he just did those himself. That's all I assume. Well, this is a perfect uh thing to talk about with what you're talking about. So somebody came up with this idea and time-wise it probably doesn't track it's just an interesting thought is that when when he's in that one scene where he's uh, impersonating the 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 shooting guard and then we yeah. see him without makeup and we see yeah. the scars they do look an awful lot like the scar that Edward Norton's character gets on his hand in Fight Club when Brad Pitt puts that acid on him yeah the lot it, it 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 heals up in the exact same way that Heath Ledger's scars look in the movie. So the fan theory was is that Heath Ledger's Joker was a part of Project Mayhem. <laughs> oh, my God. So they're in the same universe. So are <laughs> like, the, the same fuck universe. This, I'm taking it, to my, taking it to the face.
0: I mean, yeah, chaos, destruction, anarchy, kind of the same thing. I like that. They, they do look the same. It's more of like a bubbling over effect as opposed the, to like, yeah a one clean cut with like a razor blade a few times. Yeah. 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 I like that.
1: That's <laughs> it's cool, right? How
0: about a magic trick? Uh, I mean, we could just go on forever and ever about the dark night. It's great. It's great. Why don't we move on to the prestige? Noting all that <laughs> <laughs> one that sounds like we both really like, but sh- we both wanted to be a little higher on our rankings. But I will tell you in my rewatch, cause I rewatched them all. I did it, you know, I did it a fun way. I just watched them in whatever order I wanted, and then I watched them all in chronological order. I'm talking all his whole filmography. So I was doing it a couple different times. But I had not seen the prestige in uh it had been a while. Honestly, all the way through, maybe like 10 years. I wrote about Nolan on my blog in 2012. So I had watched everything then and I, it, it had been a while and I had forgotten some of the beats of it. Not all the beats, but some of it. And this is a twisty motherfucker. Yes, it really is. It really pays off, pays off in the final shot. So I don't think we've ever talked about this movie. I don't think I, we have either. Or if
1: we have, not really in depth. So tell me about it. I love this one. So I, uh, I remember when I first saw this movie, I had a really big issue, like really big, to the point where I actually found the book. And in, in the, in the- I, I want to know this issue. So it's now as I've watched it again, there's not an issue. Mm, uh, mm. They could have done a little bit better of a job explaining it, but it's really not. A, it's not a problem. So my biggest thing that I was hung up on was when Hugh Jackman gets the machine, like the the machine to like the the Tesla's machine from Tesla. Yeah, because yeah. you still we you, we don't really know when he goes under. Is it? Him that shows up elsewhere, or is it like him that 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 like where's the other one appear? Yeah. There's a tiny takeaway line when they're showing the hats. And I guess I must have missed this every time I watch the movie because my biggest com- my biggest problem with the movie is how the hell does when he's performing the trick know where he's gonna end up? Mm-hmm. How does he know? He's going to be outside. How does he know he's going to be right in the balcony? Like where, the like it doesn't make any sense that he just constantly keeps showing up in the right place. When I gathered that you have no idea where the other one's going to pop up because in the, the, in the first time he does it, he shows up right in front of him. Yeah. And, and then, and then all of a sudden he's, he's trying to explain to the owner of the magician house, why we should have our show here. And now he's in the balcony. I'm like, how the hell is he like figuring out where it's gonna be? Cause they don't explain that. Then there's a the takeaway line with the hats where um David Bowie and his uh, assistant
0: Andy Circus, yeah. Yeah, Andy Circus
1: are, are they're looking at all the hats and it goes, Oh, I guess let's we'll have to work out the calibration. And then that's yeah. it. That's the mm-hmm. line. So I miss that line apparently every time I'd seen it before, and it would always really yeah. bother me. And now one could say, "Okay, just based off of that, Hugh Jackman's character figured out the calibration and, you know, everything's hunky dory. That was a huge hole for me because I was like, how the hell is he pulling this off when there's been no explanation as to how this works?
0: Yeah. And what's cool is that they actually clue you into that the very first shot of the film. Of all those hats on the ground. And yeah. Christian Bale's voiceover comes up and he goes, You know, are you watching closely? Yeah. So they're cluing you into like, why would these all exist? And yeah, I mean, that's part. This is one. I mean, Dunkirk has a construction that is very like confusing on the first several watches, but it does track. The prestige constantly jumps around. Yes. Like the whole time in a way that tracks and adds up. But this is one where it is like a puzzle. It is like a magic trick the way it's pulled off. But, yep. um, yeah, so you you
1: get now that he
0: calibrated it correctly too.
1: Yeah, that he did even though we don't ever get that scene cuz I don't really yeah. know how you'd even but we get the idea that he did have to do that to figure it out, so it was all good. So now knowing that, I don't have any issue. Like there there's a couple of things like in here that I can kind of like I think this is the first Nolan movie where I had to make some forgiveness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um now that being said, this the movie made my top 5 for Nolan movies. Yeah. Um but was just really this this I think this is his most <coughs> Hitchcockian of all of his oh, movies. Wow, thank you for the throat clear there. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: Hmm, a big influence, a big influence on Nolan. I'm trying to, I'm trying to just think. Um, yeah, I think there's some validity to that. It, you know, it's interesting. Did Hitchcock ever do anything with like magicians? And it this seems perfect for him. This sort of it, material It does. That's. Insomnia is very Hitchcockian, though, in certain aspects. It's a good, like, if Hitchcockian was allowed to put something out of order, Memento, but it's definitely one of these more early on ones. He gets to the Kubrick phase of his career later. Later, But yeah, yeah. I mean, prestige, I like that. That's a fair comp. I'm I'm hip. I'm hip. I'm hip. (laughs) Funny you don't look hip. Nicholas Um,
1: Roeg is a big one, too, another influence. I think it's because Hitchcock's movies are always really fun. Right. Like even like at least to me, like even even psycho good ones. Yeah. Yeah. The, the good oh, ones. Psycho. Like there, there's there's a certain still like we're not in the trenches of drama. There is still a entertaining feeling going on. And I feel that in this, I feel like even though we're dealing with a really, really intense revenge story, like that's what this movie is. It, like you like can a talk decades about decades long yeah, revenge story. Like, this I is, love like, it. I this love is like I love it. Like, Count of Monte Cristo type level of revenge. And I love that. I love that. Like it's the I think the magic actually takes a back seat to the revenge. Yeah, You've yeah. got two guys that are obsessed with outdoing the other one or getting revenge. One upping. Yeah. One upping is is constantly like that. Hugh Jackman, can this dude do no wrong? Like I I have a note
0: here. This could be my favorite performance from him. What, you know, I want to be a little careful, but I, you know, uh, and how we talk, but what he does, especially when you go back and rewatch this thing, you can catch all the beats. And that's true for Christian Bale as well. Like, if you really go back and watch, you can can tell all of the changes. I'll put it that way. So
1: I love Jackman in this. This was uh, on this watch because I'd seen this movie about four times. Um, this watch, I went with the intention of like, I just kind of really want to focus on Christian Bale because I don't want to give away, because obviously that would give away the ending of the movie. But I really wanted to watch everything he was doing. You, if you know what happens in the movie. Yes. You can track and it's very clear what he's doing in every scene. It's very clear. Yeah. It's very clear. I'll just put it that way. The, a fun one to watch in that vein is...
0: When he has to dig up Fallon, and then when Bale is all drunk at dinner, yeah, that's the kind of fun one to put together. Like, uh, okay, okay. I yep. wonder why he's all drunk. Yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. The- that's what makes rewatching this one, especially if you give it a few years and you don't go watch
1: it. It's what makes it cool to put this one back on because I'd forgotten all, all the beats. You know, yeah, yeah. Though one of my fucking the, the so this is the thing that I had to forgive, and I want to try to find a way to say this without ruining the the ending of the movie. But like, well, I can always edit or bleep. Okay. Is this about fucking? No. Well, in a way. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, is this about fucking? Um, okay. I'm just going to put it so that way you can figure out what you want to do with it. But couldn't. Like, yes, yes. Like. That, that, well, and so that's what I'm saying. It could be,
0: there are some very, if you want to dig, there's some very interesting sexual dynamics going on. Where yeah. like, but that's just how it just goes to that obsession. That's the level of, Th- of obsession that they put this first. Magic does take a backseat to the movie. But I mean, the main revenge getter in it is Hugh Jackman for an yes. understandable reason. But yes. I don't think Christian Bale's intentions were... Murderous. No. I don't think they were homicidal in doing that. I think he just wanted to push it a little too far with her permission, with Piper Diablo's yeah. which she permission. got.
1: Like, yes, like yes, they and they were both in yeah. on that. Yep, yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah, but I don't. Uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> clearly <laughs> yeah. there was probably a better way that these characters could have done this, but they didn't, and you forgive it this is this is a forgiveness for no one that I've got no problem giving because the rest of the movie adds up, and it almost almost comes becomes comical like couldn't you guys could have figured this shit out better? come on let's I mean like let's be real right but but that's right. it that's it that's it that's it <laughs> no,
0: I think that's fair that's I do think that's fair. another thing that helps sell this movie so much is that it's set like in the Victorian era mm-hmm. era, but doesn't feel like that. it never feels like a period piece no it doesn't it doesn't carry with it the cliches that. Uh, most every other movie set in this time does like a kind of slower duller plot it's just it really moves it, it really really cooks um when I saw this in the theater for the first time <sighs> as soon as tesla came out from those you know lights oh. and stuff everyone was like murmuring murmuring i had no fucking clue that was david bowie i just didn't <laughs> i had no idea that that was him it took me a couple rewatches and i think talking about it with people and i went oh and he's so good in, he is. in it he's so good this is one i don't own on blu-ray but i would love to see it in blu-ray or 4k to see like uh, his different color eyes like i just david bowie's so captivating but yeah him and Andy Circus, the way they're playing off each other. Michael Kane is really good here too. This Kinda very good in this. Tiptoeing in and talk about exposition. There's that's all oh, that's his job in a lot of Nolan movies. And he sells it so well here. It's just a cool construction how, like, you know, they have these different terms for it to turn the prestige. You know, I I really found myself latching onto this one in a way. I liked it more on this watch than I ever have before. That's a good I think way to say it.
1: I think that's the overall theme of this movie. Is that it? This is a this is a movie that gets better with every rewatch. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it really it really does age. So now, if we're really talking about the, uh, staying the test of time, I think this is a Nolan movie that really does stand the test of time, and it's one that I think people forget about. Mm-hmm. I don't think people really recall that this is a Christopher Nolan movie with Christian Bale. That's not Batman, and right, like, it, it's a. I, I can't say enough about Christian Bale. Like, uh, I, his performance in this movie is towering, and so is Hugh Jackman. They're both amazing.
0: There's That's what I mean. There's so many different twists and turns to it. This is one I have not, you know, Reddit, Twitter wasn't around back then. So I haven't gone and, like, done those deep dives on it, I've like I've done for Tenet or Inception
1: even, you know? This has been a great conversation. We might have spoiled the movie throughout. No, <laughs> I'll, I
0: probably won't include a lot of that honestly okay. or I'll give a spoiler warning. We'll see. We'll see. But it's fun to talk with you about it at any rate.
1: As as you. Oh thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're not <Ra's> al Ghoul. <laughs> um
0: Batman begins. <laughs> Big deal. As we Batman said. Begins. And as I said, I want to apologize for this low ranking, my Christopher Nolan ranking. It is not a slight against the movie at all. I was um Okay, first, as a way to start conversation, one thing I noticed when watching this, I had not just sat down and re-watched this start to finish, no distractions. It had been a while. And I'm watching it going, wow, they did not. They trusted Nolan with the franchise, but they didn't trust him enough to go like as fully practical with his effects as he eventually will. Yeah. Because some of the CG and Batman Begins is not that good. It, it was fine in 2005, but it doesn't really hold up that well. And I'm like, that's interesting. I bet he knew that when he was making it. And that's why the CG and, you know, the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises is it's so much better because he's using as little of it as possible. That was just something I noticed. But yeah, I I mean, when this movie came out, like it was a huge sensation at the time. I was really excited for it, but it was a big deal. It was, it was a that huge Batman deal. Was being, yeah, Batman was being revived. Also, keep in mind, where was the comic book movie at the time? Yes. There was Just like one every two years, maybe. And like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man in 2002 definitely started a, a huge uptrend of the, these types of movies and, and how audiences respond to them. Spider-Man 2 in 2004 was even better received. Yep. And it really felt like they wanted to replicate that with Batman. So they do the same thing. Sam Raimi was offered Spider-Man 1, 2, 3. So they do that with Christopher Nolan. And yeah, it was a big deal. And I remember thinking, OK, we'll see. Like Batman was just open at that point. Yes. i like, I don't yep. think they're going to do the Joel Schumacher thing. I don't think they're going to do
1: the Tim Burton thing. So here we go. It was a clean slate, essentially. It was a clean slate. And I guess I should preface this a little bit for these conversations is that growing up as a kid, uh, I was a giant Batman comic fan. I-, I felt like, and still to this day, like especially at that time, I felt like I was pretty well-versed in the history and knowledge of Batman and its different types of graphic novels and history as a comic book. So when you're looking at the history and legacy of the movies, well, first you've got the TV show with Adam West which is bam
0: pow i mean
1: (laughs) the 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 50s with comics did have a little bit of that like yeah this is silly it's a little cheeky the show took it to a whole other level yeah and then my dad
0: always had that on like you know uh tv
1: land or night or whatever it would come on yeah we'd have that on growing up and um and then is there's a giant break no one really tackles batman um, until Tim Burton gets his hands on it. And he brings in a certain darkness to it that we have not really seen. I'm not saying his movies were gritty or anything, but there there was. There, there was just a little bit more of a seriousness now.
0: Yeah, I think they were gritty, especially Batman Returns by yeah. the standards of that time. Yeah and, yeah.
1: and and it's still over the top because you've got the Joker, you've got Danny DeVito is the Penguin. You've got all these. It, it 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 was entertaining. It was it was a little bit gritty and a little bit fun and a little bit of all that. And then the Schumacher ones really kind of take it into a cartoonish type of level. Oh yes, the animated series honestly was one of the more serious and darker versions of Batman. Anyone who's, people love that. The, yeah. That animated series is fantastic. And and actually, when I think about the comic book movie franchise. I think Spider Man is what really did it, but the first one was X Men. X Men came out in two thousand. Shit, that's a good call.
0: You're and, right. And, it did, and it was received it very, very well. And then X Two was two thousand two, and that was yep. a fucking smash. A smash. And that movie was awesome. It was You're right. You're a
1: Jesus. I just- we're now two for two with these comic book movies being taken a little bit more seriously. Uh we're not trying to have fun, we're trying to actually make some like heroic and and um captivating stories with some substance. So now Batman's coming back. I had been so into the darker versions of these stories that I was like, "Man, I really hope they take this into this place." And Nolan did exactly that. It was an origin story that works sometimes Nolan gets a little expositiony. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. Uh, Let's say sometimes oh, we'll just talk say about that all the time. Uh, well, it, well, yeah,
0: coming up. I mean, and th- yes, and then Dunkirk, I think, is an exact uh, retaliation against it, that. Like, haha,
1: you want to blame me for being expositional? Watch this shit. Yes, I'll take all of it out. <laughs> take all of it out. And um, but you kind of needed to do it a little bit in this one because you have to cover so much information and ground. In order to get to where the story needs to get, I actually think that this is probably one of his best uses of exposition in trying to just move forward, just yeah. getting the pieces that you need, like even the training he does in up in the mountains, like yeah. some of that stuff that Liam Neeson says, like if you were just to look at that in the <laughs> script, it's stupid, it's stupid dialogue I, love it. I know, but when you're seeing it playing out you're seeing the action sequences you're seeing him you know them battle on on the ice he's balancing on the on the wooden planks you're (laughs) seeing him in the music swell that's happening you're on the ride you're like oh my god yes yes you're there yes you're there and that That ain't no green screen background folks i just kind of want to put that into context because writing a script when you know you just have to just cover information, and, and quite frankly, bad dialogue, just to kind of move this along. It doesn't feel like that in Batman Begins. It really doesn't. To To latch on to that point, another note I had here is, I remembered he told this, I mean,
0: remember, this is like a huge, big-budget movie, and Almost the first half of it, all the parts we're describing are told out of order. He's going non chronological and he's jumping around in these different timelines. How did the parents die? Where this training in the mountains, you know, now he's like this college student and he wants to get revenge. And we're jumping all around, but it all really tracks. And it's like this propulsive engine going, going all to be able. All reaching to the clips of like becoming Batman, you know, actually it, learning how to do it. But that first, like, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes, yeah. it's a different take on that standard. We're building out the plot, we're building out this story, we have to explain all this shit. Yeah, the character building that one that is required in the first of a comic book movie trilogy like this.
1: Yep. It, it moves at a pace where it, it's fast, but it doesn't feel like we're plowing through. Yeah, really quick. Did did you know the story about how Christian Bale got cast as Batman in this? Well, I mean, God, it was all. I mean, it was so much up for debate.
0: But I don't know exactly. I, I don't know. I've heard a bunch of different versions.
1: So, but I do
0: know that he officially like got the part when he was on The Machinist. Yes, which he lost about a hundred pounds for, and I. It's something like he had. I, I'm not even kidding. Like six weeks. From when the Machinist wrapped to when Batman Begins started, so he had to gain all that back. And if you go and look, he's like he's kind of chunky in the beginning oh. of Batman Begins because he, he overcorrected, and ate way too much after the Machinist. But no, no, I, I don't, I don't think I know the story well, you're going to tell. It, we'll it, see. It
1: basically is that, and I think this was on the Batman Begins special feature where Christian Bale was the first person to audition, mm. and mm-hmm. he auditioned. And in his state of as being in the machinist <laughs> and, and Nolan tells the story where he's just sort of like, Christian, this is great, but like, how can I seriously <laughs> like, like consider you? I mean, look at the, like, like it, to be just to be fair here. How can I really take you seriously with the, how skinny you are? And, and Bale basically just told him he's like, I will get to where we need to get to. Do not even worry about the physicality. I know what Batman is. I believe that I can like he just basically gave him the pitch. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand I'm in the shape I'm in. But if you cast me, not only will I get there, I'm gonna like I'm gonna I'm gonna kill it. They went through all sorts of things. Killian Murphy was actually uh Really cool. He was yeah, he was testing in the suit. Because he was a thing because of twenty-eight days later, yep. like Killian Murphy yep. was having a huge pop.
0: Christian Bale, a huge pop from American Psycho.
1: Yeah. So Finally, they made decision to go with Bale, and uh, and then in the beginning, yeah, there was an ongoing joke because he had put on so much weight that they were like, Christian, we're doing Batman, not Fat Man.
0: Fat Man, yeah, yeah,
1: I love that, I love that. And you could tell,
0: like, in those scenes. Yeah. Which, yeah, when he he's really all, pudgy. He's, like, he's really uh, great in great shape for the Dark Knight, just, like, the whole time, it, just yep. superb shape. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we're still on Batman Begins. You know how I first saw Batman Begins? I saw Batman Begins at a fucking midnight screening on a Thursday, and I I had to go to work the next day. Just no problem at the time. Could easily do it. You know, you get home at 3 a.m. from a fucking movie, have to go to work in a few hours. (sighs) Not now. Yeah. Not now. (laughs) Not anymore. Most important question related to the Dark Knight trilogy, of course, is Katie Holmes or Maggie Gyllenhaal? Please give me your
1: answer. Hot take, hot take. <laughs> oh, you're going go to go with Holmes. hundred percent. Wow. hundred percent. Oh, I, interesting. I, is this a Dawson's Creek hangover perhaps? Well, I mean, I mean, let's be fair. I mean, I was, I was a Creek head. Um, but, a uh, Creek head, Jesus <laughs> Christ, there's a term. Didn't know. Didn't I actually, know. I, I just, I came, if that is, a, if that is a thing, I don't know. I've never heard that. Um, but coin it now. I, I'll take it. I, yes, but no, I was, I was always kind of rooting for Katie Holmes, like in her career. Like I, I, um, I really did love her performance in that one pieces of April movie. I think that's one of the better Thanksgiving movies that's out oh. there. Um, the movie's so good. Huge fan of Go. Um, she never blew me away. The gift. Yeah, the gift. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, she never, like, blew me away, but I was always, like, you know, just risking, like, I, come on, Katie, let's let's go. Also in Logan Lucky. Ha-ha. Yes. Yep.
0: Very good in Logan Lucky. Brief part. Yes.
1: But I actually Sorry. I actually really liked her in Christian Bale's chemistry. Um, I know there's some debate in, like, that scene where she slaps him. Double slap. Uh, whether <laughs> keep, yeah, the the double slap. <laughs> I love um, it. And I don't know what it was, but I just really, I really, I really dug their vibe. I really felt his shame in that. I really felt like she kind of, she she was the one that was pressing all of the buttons that he that his character needed, and I thought she did it really well. I liked Maggie Gyllenhaal's take on the the badass like woman worker. Like that. She was she she had a job. She was on a mission. I liked that strength. Five dollars the donuts. I I I Katie Holmes, hundred percent. Would have been interesting to see how Katie Holmes would play off Heath Ledger's
0: Joker. That would have been interesting oh, to see. Oh, it would have been you great. know, would it yeah. I cause Jalen Hall does it so well. I really liked the way, you know, her interaction with him as yeah. well. But yeah, I just I mean, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I love that take. That's a good take. I love that scene on my rewatch. I always die laughing when he pretends to be drunk oh. to kick everyone out of the party. Yeah. He's like, just go. Just just go. go. I love it. I love the way he does that. Yeah. Um, again, no shade based on its ranking in, on my list. I really do like it. And I think as far as, you know, usually these movies are – the, my least favorite, uh, the first one because of just all that building. I think it's yep. a hard thing to get right for all the reasons we just talked about. It's hard to nail that exposition and they do it well. And you know. We, we're getting to meet Michael Caine as Alfred for the first time. Morgan Freeman as Lucius, like all these characters that are really going to be endearing to us. Gary Oldman, who the when I first saw Batman Begins, there was almost a gasp in the audience when we first saw Gary Oldman because he always played shitheads yep. back then. Like always. And I'm like, oh, and then you find out he's going to be Gordon. And he's so like gentle. And that carries through. I mean, honestly, even to Dark Knight Rises when he when it clicks for him and he figures out who he is, I think that's really moving. And I'm like, oh shit, he, he, I love this. Yeah, he's
1: honestly like, if you like, you read the comic book, which I think was a, the graphic novel of year one for Batman. That was a huge influence on this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you cannot get a better Gordon than Gary Oldman. Like in terms of the so look, good. the downtrodden, just like. Oh, just I'm um, just a piece of shit right now like that 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 kind of like that that was Gordon and um, you could feel all that in, in Gary Oldman's performance of it and Liam Neeson just really really good villain in this yeah yeah like I'm very believable I like very him. believable and very cool like I love that the, the facial hair that he's got going on and uh
0: yeah like you know he basically just wants to like climax all of gotham city he wants to pull a climax on them. he's like filling the water with like drugs that like make them trip out that's what happens in the motion picture climax directed by gasp no i'm not using climax
1: okay sorry he wants (sighs) to climax all over gotham
0: (laughs) no he is trying to get people to trip the fuck out all over gotham is what i was saying at my rewatch i was i made a note of that like oh this is kind of like a nationwide climax, but not climax in the fornication way. I'll have you know. Mm, I'm mm, not talking sexually. I'm not in the biblical sense. Drug trippingly. <laughs> well, well. All right, let's move on. I know you just watched this one, too. I was I was in love with Memento. And, and again, we got to see that in 2001. So the very next year, he's making a studio movie. And Insomnia was a remake but the remake script written by Hillary Zeitz was something that was bouncing around town. Jonathan Demi was attached with Harrison Ford set to star. Wow! George Clooney and Steven Soderbergh were producing partners back then. Soderbergh loved Memento, and he pitched Nolan to the studio for the directing gig. So, you know, it's all simpatico. I, lo- I just love hearing that shit. I love, like, yeah. Soderbergh's always been great for that, too, like, helping people get jobs where he think they would fit, and... I love Insomnia. I think probably second to following, this is the movie that people have seen the least of Nolan's filmography. Um, Some of that is because this is never available to stream and it is very difficult to find the Blu-ray. The only way, (laughs) I guess the DVD would be for sale, but the only way I was able to purchase the Blu-ray, which I did for this episode, was in a seven and the devil's advocate director's cut triple pack. So now that's I have those just, two on Blu-ray as well. And I was like, all right, man, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, before I get going, I want to hear your high-level thoughts. I love this movie, and I want everyone to go see it.
1: I thought this was a, uh, as I always like to say, I'm going to give it oh, my- Oh, here uh, it comes. You, here it comes. The classic Nick Dostal, seal of approval, a note-perfect movie. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, I, it is I, Insomnia there there was not one moment of this movie that wasn't just firing on all cylinders for everything that it was intending to do and it's from the the editing to the um performance to the writing like there were even times where i was like thinking to myself I wonder how they're going to like tie this up. I wonder how this is all going to kind of like, cause there's a lot of, well, we're floating. talking about
0: insert shots and we're like, what yeah, the fuck are all-? I mean, there, there are things where he is testing our, not yes. necessarily our attention. attention spans, but how quickly we can clock something. He's showing shit for like five, six frames with these, with the volume heightened. And you're like, yeah, uh, okay. Is what is this? But it pays off. It pays
1: off. And, and to, and to be fair, though, I, I did have to, when the movie was over, I had a couple of lingering questions just because I was like, wait a second. I under, I understand how everything happened, but I need to go back and track. Sure. So I, I had to go back and rewatch the, the, the big scene in the fog. Yes. Because yes, yes, I was yes. like, I just need to clock everything that happens. And then when... It when I rewatched it, I go, yup, everything checks out, and then everything that subsequently happens from there, it all checks. And um it, I mean, even just the idea of uh taking a place, a movie taking place in Alaska where there is no night, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really cool concept just to kind of have as a underlying, you know, it's like a character in the movie. But <laughs> well, I mean, it is. It honestly is. Yeah. It's, that's it, he uses the manipulation
0: of time as a character yes. in all of his films and the all time mani- manipulation and in insomnia is that our lead character, Will Dormer, played very well by Al Pacino, oh. cannot fucking sleep. So he's going six, seven days without being able to sleep. And that is completely distorting how he sees everything and his sense of time, his
1: judgment, all of it, all of it. I cannot say Enough about how fucking good Al Pacino is in this,
0: it's a real shame that the Oscars were still very much in their prestige mode because it it would have been nice to see him sneak in there, Robin Williams for supporting actors oh. this is he is a perfect and convincing villain, which was a huge part of the marketing, and you were like, What? This was before one hour photo. This was released a for a few months before it, and there's even like some very very slight slight shades of dry humor in something like one hour photo there's no humor to this guy he's just a textbook sociopath who does not think there's anything wrong with him but he's a raging fucking murdering sociopath
1: it's great he's great it's so great because the there's um the the, i I, I don't want to say what happens in the movie no uh, i don't yeah this isn't right this isn't one to spoil because this is not uh i don't think very well seen unfortunately but there is um, there is a conflict that Al Pacino has throughout the movie. It's one of the more compelling conflicts I've seen a character have in almost anything I've seen recently. Yeah. it it the, I have a theory that the more deep-rooted you can make a character have a conflict, now whether it's plot-based or if it's just something that you kind of devise for the character, the more that that can be prevalent to the audience's awareness – the better everything gets because the actor can do what the actor does in the scene, you know, especially because he's also playing sleep deprived. So he's playing a state of being, but at the same time, we understand that he's got this whirlwind of a conflict and he's playing a juggling act. It was one of the most riveting performances I've seen in quite some time. I thought he was so good. And it's also great. It's also funny because Pacino, so (laughs) yeah it's just some of those moments like there's that scene where he has with robin williams where they're on the ferry and he's got his head like leaned up against the pole and he's in and out of consciousness oh he he looks like he could just fall asleep right there it's like and then robin
0: williams would be like god you're you're really losing it will like here what what are you on day four
1: wow you're about to beat my record he's like you (laughs) got it's it's fucking great man It 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 And I don't you don't really think about how many times you've seen a sleep deprived performance, but uh, this might be the goat. (laughs) Well, let me. All right. I have so much more to say.
0: Let me jump right to this, though, because this is really important. So uh, the reason why I bought that Blu-ray is because there is a commentary on it, a director's commentary, and that's Nolan's last one. He doesn't do them anymore. Commentaries are few and far between. Very, very sad to see that Damien Chazelle did not do one for Babylon. Which is why I haven't bought that yet on 4K. He always does them and he didn't do one. And I was like, oh, that, that is a little heartbreaking, honestly. Christopher Nolan not only does a commentary for Insomnia, but in the first and only time I have ever seen this in the history of movie watching, when you hit play on the commentary, you watch the movie in the order in which he filmed it. Wow! So you get to see he goes. Okay, here. So like the first thing they film day one, and they tell you the scene. Scene thirty six. Hillary Swank gets stuff in her apartment. He's like, "We did this first. You want to give your crew something easy to do on the first day?" So he's going through, and I'm like, "Oh, this is really cool. I'm going to be able to see how they constructed it and how you have to, you know, establish an editing because when you film." A movie you don't film it in order of the shooting script you're almost always filming it based on two things for a very low production movie it's based on location yeah. when we get that location that's when we film that scene period if that scene happens if it's the last scene in our movie but we have to film it first so be it that's what we have to do it's based on lo- on the location and then everyone's availability so on a movie like this Pacino's in almost every scene. I think he is in every scene. So he's got to be there the whole time. But Robin Williams does not have to be there the whole time. And a good production manager is not going to schedule Robin Williams to be like on one day, off four days, on five days, off two days, because you're in the middle of Alaska. So you get to see how like they saved all of Robin Williams stuff for the middle. The main point here, this is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen from an actor because they did not shoot this in order. Pacino had to track how tired dormer was, not from day to day, from scene to scene. The police station was the same place that they shot like the morgue, for instance, but they would like go upstairs and shoot in the police station in the morning. And that would be like in the beginning of the movie. Then they go down to the morgue and that would be toward the end of the movie. But that was just in the afternoon after lunch. And Nolan is on this commentary going, I never had a single conversation with Al about that. That's why you hire Al Pacino. Like, I knew that was going to be a huge issue, but that's why you hire him. I never talked to him about, like, make sure you're playing this one, like, really tired. He had to track all that. So knowing that they didn't shoot this in order, that Pacino is literally taking a break to be like, okay, where is this in the story? Okay, it's here. This is how tired I am. It's, it's astounding. Cause like the first thing he shot, he's dog shit tired. Like he's yeah, so, yeah. he's in a, such a tired state of mind. And then like the next day he's just driving around with Hillary Swank and like, not that tired in the Jeep. It's fascinating. Made me appreciate the performance so much more. And th- this is how movies are, are made. This, it makes you appreciate the art form of acting that much more because that's the skill of an actor. If you're ever watching a movie, if you're ever watching a movie and you go, why was the accent really good like in the beginning? And then it got really bad in the middle and then it got good again in the end. This is why, because they're shooting movies out of order and uh, hopefully the actor's accent has gotten stronger the longer they've been filming. So whatever scenes they film last, those will probably be the strongest accent wise happens all the time. Yep. And it takes a really, really good actor to not show that continuity. And I, I it's just, in, it's incredible.
1: And at not one point during his performance, did I feel like it was over the top? No, it always tracks, it, always tracks. It always tracks. And it does, it, it does from as time goes on to his dear point and his credit for tracking his his level of of sleep deprivation it all makes sense because you feel each scene as it goes on and on like you see how it's affecting him differently but it's always deeper it's always a little bit worse sometimes there he's a little bit more like light with it yeah and sometimes he's more down with it even as the movie goes on but these are all just such interesting choices I love. Yeah, just played so well. I love when he's baiting because you said you know he
0: does have like a dilemma. There is there's a conflict within him, but that's just one. He's got the shit back in Los Angeles. He's got the fact that he can't sleep. He's got a current case. He's got the other thing that we're not talking about. But I love early in the movie when he's trying to like push Martin Donovan, who plays his partner. He's trying to push his buttons, and he's like, "Fuck you, care." Yeah, (laughs) there he is. There's Al. He's still there. He can. He can still do it. Oh man. Yeah. But I love that and. I mean, we've kind of mentioned it so far, but uh, some of them later in his career, some of the casting choices might be hit or miss. But I always love the swings Nolan takes with his cast. Like, Nikki Cat is so good this. He's so he's funny. He's so good in it. Martin Donovan's good. You know, Nikki Cat, Nicky Cat's last movie performance, I believe, was as the SWAT partner in The Dark Knight. When he's in the truck, oh yeah, like, this yeah, is like a big actor who's in like big roles. I don't know what happened, but like Martin Donovan is the one that gives John David Washington his assignment and tenant. So you see, yep. like he'll he'll use them again. I mean Ben Middleson in The Dark Knight Rises. I like his Tom Berenger in Inception. Lucas Haas. Oh,
1: I love that. Eric yep.
0: Roberts in The Dark Knight. It's so good. It was a joke it <laughs> killed a woman. Um. Anyway, David Bowie, The Prestige. Anyway. Great one! All right, one thing I got to talk about. Got to see if you notice this. We got to talk about the editing and insomnia, because you know you need Pacino to sell that, but the sound and the cinematography and the editing. Yes, what there's a technique that Nolan uses here. He does it a few times. Never seen it in a movie before or really since. And I swear to God, I'm stealing it for the next thing I shoot. I promise. To help us lock into Dormer Al Pacino's state of mind. He'll be like looking around the police station and we'll cut to his point of view and the background will be in focus and then we'll cut a frame out and we will jump cut to the fan in the foreground in focus. But the background's out and it's doing these quick like cuts and it really helps establish this the, the haziness of not being able to sleep. I've never been up for six fucking days, but I've been up for long enough to know that I should be asleep. And it's so weird. It's such a weird-ass feeling that comes over you. You're not making the right decisions. Like I said, your judgment is impaired. And I love the way they visually capture that with editing, with cinematography. And it's very, very simple to do. This is not like – they're not using digital effects. This is just simple, no. like film school editing, honestly. It's a, it's great. There, it's back to, like, the following days, you know? Back like, yeah. let's do something cool – we're doing it in camera. There's no trickery, but just with a simple cut and a little sound effect, we're selling it. Well,
1: there's the, there's that whole entire sequence where he walks into the police station, and we focus in on the things that are making sound. Yeah, the there's fan. The stapler, Stabler, the fan, and, and the Ugh. things that are going in and out of focus. And that is just exactly, yeah, to give us the idea of sensory-wise what this guy is honing in on and what he's not, and how that's going in and out. I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. No perfect. This thing was just so fucking good. I I, I there was one moment where I'm trying to figure, because I want to put some praise to this, because this was one of the things that was like it had to be in the writing, but it was something that they that's never talked about in this story. Mm-hmm. But there's a scene where Hillary Swank is like the 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 cop that's trying to she, she's the rookie cop basically she's a
0: rookie cop the alaskan cop yep. who's helping out the veteran lapd detective try to solve this crime in alaska the reason why he has been brought in why pacino's been brought in two reasons one he's really good at his job and they are not used to murders like this in alaska two he's in some hot shit in la we don't know what but he yep. may have done some bad things and internal affairs are on his ass to the point where they are calling him in his hotel room. So that's like where, just to set that up a little bit.
1: Yeah. And she is such a pure soul. Like, that's the type of character that she is. And without saying too much, like Pacino's juggling quite a bit of controversial things. And she's trying to do this police report. She just needs him to sign off on it. Oh, yeah. And he tells her, because he knows certain things, but he's also trying to protect himself he tells her don't be like you know um blasé about this basically like it's your your name's on that report go back and like uh-huh. re- rethink and relook and reinvestigate now uh-huh. i remember thinking that i'm like maybe he's just tired maybe it's just this but i think in so many w- in a, in a lot of ways that was him actually Almost like a cry for help. The, the, the jig like, is up. It's he, the he jig knows it.
0: He's up. He is. He's putting himself out there a little bit. And if he has sins, and if his sins have to catch up with him, why not it happen at the hands of Ellie Burr as opposed That's the to thing. the
1: fucking LAPD? Yeah, exactly. Or Nikki Katz character. Yes, yes. Like, Who hates Dormer like, and he it, has so yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. For like him, if I that was it. him handing him that report, he'd have been like. All right, here's my Yeah, looks signature. good. looks good, fine. Yeah, yeah, it looks good, but fuck it. And, and then and it all comes back in the end yes. when she's yes. about to do that thing, and he tells her, Don't lose your way. Yeah. yeah. Like he was trying to protect himself, but he knew that if this is gonna happen, I want it to be her. And like that is just such a tiny little through line that yeah. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people fucking miss but i remember getting that and then like i got chills at the end when it happened i was like oh this this was cuz i i have i have actually wondered why her character was the way she was i was like why is she so naive and and pure about life. this and it's now just, i'm seeing she's that she's just an innocent yeah uh, g- girl from next
0: door who's you know yep. clearly probably doesn't have the easiest of jobs she's clearly the only woman on her crew probably facing daily misogyny all that stuff but she but and she also idolizes dormer you know she's written papers thesis papers about him he's this old hardened veteran detective and she idolizes him but you know she has a job of also investigating a girl's murder but maybe she should be looking a little closer at dormer too yeah it it, I like Hillary. Made, I don't think Hillary. Oh, I, do I, too. I would like to have a conversation about her at some point. We could do it now. I mean, I like her in this. I love her in Boys Don't Cry, Million Dollar Baby. Never had. I fucking love her little stint in Logan Lucky. She was so good. That oh, yeah. Gave, but it was just great. I've always I like her and I think I thought she was really good in this. She was at the height
1: of her fame. She was at the height of her fame. I've always liked her, too. And The end made her character make all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, And it was one of those things where it's like you kind of get it all at the end and it it, it just hits you over the head. And I was just really blown away and then made me appreciate her performance Uh because it's a very subtle like she's not the star and she is playing a very specific person, but she's not making herself known. So you're almost kind of wondering, like, certainly not a bad performance, but you're you're, I was kind of wondering, I'm like. Why isn't this more here? And then it all clicks and like yeah. then I realize I go, Oh my God, you Hillary Swank played this part perfectly. Like you did exactly what you needed to do to make everything work and for me to have that aha moment at the end. Beautiful, beautiful work. I think she's amazing. I think she's really good. And all yeah. those things I've seen her in.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. I'm so glad you liked Insomnia. Just please, everyone, go check that out if you haven't yes, seen it in a while, or if you out. haven't seen it. We didn't really talk about Robin Williams much, but he is great in it. I mean, Maura Tierney's in it. Pacino and Tierney have a great scene together in the hotel. They room. do it's so good. It's so like warm and gentle when she turns on the lights of the room, and he's like, "Yeah, please, please, just you know, turn." <laughs> yeah, oh, it's great. Speaking of which you know that's a following's a small movie, but then he scrapes a little more money together, has somewhat of a budget to make memento. no one this isn't the type of movie you hear about as it's being made, but when this thing hit indie cinemas, this is one like as a kid, I had to drive into d c to see or have my dad take me to d c to see and it was just a sensation. I saw it so many times in the theater. it was so new and unique, I'll never forget seeing it that first time and by like the fourth or fifth jump pack, I sort of figured out what they were doing. And around like the seventh or eighth jump pack, my dad leaned over and he's like, Do you have any idea what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I think so. I think so. But yeah, it could lose you. But it's something at the time, and to I mean, American audiences could see this in two thousand and one, despite what IMDB says, keeping it true, it in the year two thousand it was nominated for two thousand and one Oscars, anyway. It was a huge deal at the time, a huge deal. And the novelty of it still holds up. There is a hidden special feature on that DVD where you can watch it in order. And I just was, and it's really fun to do. It's really fun to put this in chronological order. All the black and white scenes are first.
1: I love Memento, all-timer for me. I remember renting it from good old Blockbuster. Oh, yes. And not knowing anything about it. Like, I, I remember seeing the cover uh, it was sort of like this. It was like a black cover with Guy Pierce, and he was like holding. It was his bag or something. Yeah, the Polaroids. Yep. Yeah. And and I just remember it kind of looked like a classic, like mid nineties cover. And I think that's even why I did it. So I had no idea what I what I was getting into when I put it on. And then all of a sudden, I can't remember in that first viewing of when it took me to realize what was happening but at some point it does at some point yeah everyone who's never seen the movie it dawns on you you're like oh we're going backwards and yeah it seems so silly but that revelation that you have with it is so special like you like when you realize what's happening you're you're immediately like leaned in forward I jumped it, I jumped up in my chair. I'll never forget it because it's not just that realization.
0: It's also that the color stuff is in – we're seeing it in reverse chronological order. But then the black and white stuff is in chronological order. So you're like, okay, wait a minute. So yeah, once you piece it together – that's also what happened with me with Dunkirk. Once it clicked, yeah. I went, oh, yeah, once it I clicks, get it. I yep. get it. Yeah, yeah. A movie about a man, Leonard, Don't Call Me Lenny shelby attempting (laughs) to find the man who raped and murdered his wife but the problem is he cannot remember anything for longer than 15 minutes at a time i mean what a movie concept jesus christ go ahead go ahead
1: no this was a question that i had okay how long is his actual memory well, like, because I was kind of clocking a little bit and it seems like he can't really go more than five minutes. Well, if you, yeah, if you
0: pick apart the movie like that, there are certainly some stretches when it is lasting a little longer. It It is not a consistent thing. It's, it's not yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's resetting every seven minutes, every 15 minutes. It's not it. It kind of shows that he can. Maybe even hold on a little longer if there isn't something like crazy going on. But obviously, you know, when he gets flustered, it it can just go like yep, really quickly yep. and go in a moment. But I think the idea is fifteen to twenty minutes.
1: But it is not it's, like a timer being reset. Yeah, yeah. It, it it seems like that. Like there like there are things where you're like okay. But I w- it was what question I wanted to prompt you is like how long do you actually think it is? But I think that's right. But one thing I noticed, and I think this. I don't know when this decision was made, but if you notice the sound of a door closing is a trigger for him damn near every single time, whether it's a room door or a car door, that sound, he loses it. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And then it,
0: that is what it, he does that a lot of times. And then other times you'll just cut to him and he's like in bed and he, you know, he doesn't remember like, how the fuck did I get here? You know, it's just, it it can be like, any number of things but i love just that concept for a movie i mean it's pretty brilliant Yo, and it yeah. can also be like a comedy it could be like a slapstick detective comedy of a guy you can't remember anything for longer than 15 minutes but instead of telling the movie straight he creates two narratives like we've talked about a black and white narrative that is going in chronological order the time of which it's only a, it's a real time phone conversation that he's having yeah having. So only about 15 minutes pass in that black and white stuff. You really get a sense of that when you watch it in chronological order in that hidden uh, special feature. So that stuff's all happening, and you're suppo- supposed to believe one he, that's all contained in one memory byte for Leonard. So it's like a 15-minute chunk, and then Nolan is intercutting that with a timeline, another timeline in color that is playing in reverse. And he clues yeah. you into this by like – the, the end of each segment will kind of be the beginning of the next. And that's how you'll keep seeing it as you keep tracking back. I don't even think he would do that now. I think if he made this movie now, I don't think he would give you those clues of like, we've jumped back. Like, I don't think he would be having the characters yeah. repeat dialogue and things like that. I think that was just to really help a 2000, 2001 audience along because we needed the help at the time because <laughs> we weren't used to this.
1: And, and it does help though. And, yes. Cause yes, I think it does. There. Because by having those visual checkpoints, it does keep you along, but it doesn't feel like he's spoon feeding you. It doesn't no, feel no. like it, it it it's almost that in their way there, you're the audience experience you're like, "Oh, oh," and I think that's actually a really great way to keep the audience invested because really, when you're dealing with a confusing movie, anytime the audience can be clued in and, and they get that aha moment. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a a dopamine rush. Like, like you feel good. Like all of a sudden you're like, oh, like your mind is blown every single time. So what that does is that just re-ups your investment, your, um, your capacity to be compelled into what you're watching. Because These scenes happen like they're less than five minutes. It seems like five to ten minutes for these scenes to end and then begin again. And I think one of the beauties of the editing of this movie is that you never feel bored. No, you're even on the rewatch. And I think it's because you're getting that constant like validation that you know what's going on. I think this movie honestly would play play better to younger audiences who just need that quick. That constant thing, the constant that change, yeah, yeah. Black it's and white color, one yep. narrative, the other narrative. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. we
0: we'll, we should uh, do a test. All the Gen Zs um, out there, let us know what you think of Memento. Yeah, probably yeah, never, seriously, probably never heard of it. <sighs> What's funny is that we're only talking about structure right now. That's it. Yes. Just like we yes. just talked about props for following. Like, we're only talking about structure. And there's so much more I could have talked about for following. And there's so much more I could talk about for Memento. And I will. I'm not done talking about Memento. But yeah. that's how much I love this movie. It's just
1: one aspect of the movie that we love. It Okay, so if we are moving on as another component of the movie, the, this is what I also think is so cool. Is yes, we're just talking about structure. But... What also keeps you so engaged into the film is that you're dealing with a guy who cannot remember. Like uh-huh. th- I think every time I watch it, the whole entire time, I'm just wondering, what is that like? Uh, like, I'm you're, like you're waking up from a dream and
0: trying to remember a dream. It, yeah. It's like a perfect like, description where you're like, wait a minute. No, wait, huh?
1: Did it you're yeah. you're constantly engaged with how he must be dealing with this you're you're, yeah. you're coming up with questions for yourself sometimes the movie answers it like he gives you like little things like it helps writing things down and like all the little breadcrumbs that he gives you along the way like once you realize that he's writing all of the information on his body you're like oh my god like this is crazy like this is and wild that- stuff and that he has to
0: look at all that shit in order to remember. Every yeah. time he looks at that shit, it, it's like seeing it for the first time. He has to be reminded of what happened to his wife. He has to be reminded
1: that he's on this huge hunt. And and as his condition unfolds to us, and as his process to deal with it unfolds, it's intriguing. But it, you start to realize more and more, this is futile. Like the, of like course. This... This guy cannot win. Like, there is no way because and well, that's and what, what ends you re- up happening. Yes.
0: yes. That's what you realize by, by the end, which is what's so interesting watching it in chronological order, is that he set basically like Teddy just sets him up to go kill someone for yes. Teddy. And then yep. he does that. And then Leonard is so pissed by this that he sets up this false investigation for himself to maybe perhaps eventually murder Teddy. So that's the tension of it is is Leonard going to get caught for just killing, for just having murdered this Jimmy guy? And is Leonard eventually going to kill this Teddy guy? But in reverse, the tension is, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Who is this guy? Where yeah. are these manipulations coming from? Can I touch? Can, can I trust Teddy? If you watch it chronologically, you know right away you can't trust him. But this, yeah. it's like, it starts with Teddy's murder, and then we're thinking, is this justified? Yep. Is this the real guy? And you get that fucking hammer on the head. It's really interesting that it works both ways. It is not as effective chronologically, but it is still a really cool experiment. I love Guy Pierce in this so, so much. Oh. It's a shame they've never worked together again. There's no bad blood. They've talked about it a lot, but like it's my understanding that there's everyone in Oppenheimer, like, couldn't cut a roll for my man, Guy. My guy, Guy. Yeah, <laughs> No, but he's one of my favorite performances in a Nolan movie. I love him in this. You really believe everything. But yeah, like
1: I'm putting yourself in his head like, what must this be like? It's just great. Yeah. One thing I had a, a, a thought on when I was watching, I started to laugh at one point because when you kind of remove yourself from the story and the character and everything, you're like, there's no way a man with a limited memory like this could solve any crime. No. I'm not saying it's impossible, but <laughs> there is like a dawning of like the humor you're talking about in a way. Yeah. And and it's interjected into the movie. Like there are those scenes where he's running and then all of a sudden he it's, goes – It's very dry, but that is very dry. Yeah. But yes, yeah, oh, like why uh, am, am I running? What am I doing? Oh, I'm chasing oh. this guy.
0: No, he's no, chasing me. No, he's chasing me. me. <laughs> and,
1: and, and, it, and it is. It's the performance that sells it. And But you just sort of realize that this guy is just like, this is is not going to go well for him. But we sympathize. Yes. Yeah, we
0: sympathize with him so much in reverse. But then when we get to the end slash beginning of the movie, we're like, no, dude, you just sabotage yourself like you're – and this is not the first time he's done this. There's a very clear indication that he's been doing this. For a while, probably since his wife has been killed. He's just going out, yeah. snuffing out these John G's, maybe for Teddy, maybe sending himself on wild goose chases. I don't know when you're oh, you, I,
1: I don't know. And <laughs> he's clearly a perfect mark for everyone else who wants to use him for something, because like, yeah. think about it. if you're involved in a life of crime in any sort of capacity, you need to set up a fall guy like you just happen to meet a guy can't remember anything for more the than five man. minutes. <laughs> you're, you're like, you're not going to believe who I met today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i'm
0: charging this poor bastard for eight hotel rooms in this shit home motel. come check yeah. it out man yeah yeah it, we could get now, it for all sorts of shit
1: now I, I don't know how you feel but um speaking of performances carrie ann moss in this She's greatness yeah I love her in this. She's so good. It's a little reunion, Matrix reunion
0: of uh, her and Joe Pantaleano, yep. even though they don't have any scenes together in Memento. But she is so good in this. There was some, I mean, Memento got a screenplay and best editing nomination, I believe. But there was talk like, you know, they're they're still in their Oscars were still very much in their prestige thing. And they didn't want to give like Guy Pierce or Carrie Ann Moss acting nominations but there was loose talk of it but i love her in this it's a great femme fatale like That's noir exactly performance. What I was gonna it's say it's great yeah yeah but she, not with she, like the fancy dresses and hair not like that no nope, like that a
1: much more gritty kind of version of it but she plays it so well um and there's one scene that i remember that i if we're talking about all the components of the movie where the music that entered into it oh. um was a, a, a there was a it, it was the scene where we know that she has just shown her true colors and she's being so mean to him. And then he forgets. Yeah. And then she's playing nice. And there's like a music swell that happens and it's just completely manipulating the audience, but it's also her manipulating him. And and the, the music just was so beautiful that you just couldn't help but kind of feel for him in a way. It, it was just, all that makes movies great Every part of it is happening in this movie. It's it's so good. Yeah. David
0: Julian, I hope that's how you say his name, he did the music for all these early Nolan movies, following even Memento, Insomnia, and then he came back and did the music for The Prestige. I like what he brought to Nolan's work. It's like you yeah. know a little more horn based. Obviously, now he goes much, much bigger. He's with Hans Zimmer, oh, yeah. Luke Gordon like doing these crazy, crazy things. But I've always loved the score of Memento. It's really haunting in that perfect way. And he hits you with it right away. You know, when he's shaking the Polaroid and the, yep. for the opening credits, it's just great. Yeah. Um, Wally Pfister. This was his first collaboration as a cinematographer for Christopher Nolan. That's a you know big deal. I love that he shot all of his earliest films, and that before he switched over to a different DP. Real quick story. I'll keep it quick, but I lo- I've I've never been able to tell this on the pod. There's never been a good time to. I was in Salem, Massachusetts the first time I went there in like 2021, and with a another couple, and we the four of us went out to eat at an italian restaurant we're just sitting there and salem's like a real cool town very chill a lot of people are you know tatted up so our server she has a bunch of tats she's putting like our plates down and i look at her and i just get a flash of something i'm like holy shit and i you know i don't really like i'm not trying to like talk like in that way i don't want to make them feel uncomfortable and like ask them a personal question but she comes back over and i was like hey i i just want to ask you on your left thumb, does it say, remember Sammy Jenkins from Memento? And she stopped what she was doing, like paused and said, you were only the second person in my entire life who has gotten that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So it was it was cool. It was a nice. It was a fun <laughs> moment. And then we talked. We had kind of, we were just starting the podcast. So I like told her about the podcast. I wonder if she still listens to it.
1: I don't know. We'll see. Did you tell her that you, you you only have tattoos of like words on your body too?
0: Oh yeah, but I mean at the time it was I I think I only had no I had three yeah at the time I don't have any from memento but I said if I ever got one that's the one I would get from it that's
1: the yeah, one you it'd would be get awesome
0: yeah I would I would get that one I mean there's some uh, you know license plate I don't need that. The one across his chest is not fun and it's not something I'd want. I was going to say that that's the one that I would get. (laughs) (laughs) If you Google memento tattoos, people like have gotten those in real life. Like they're there. They've like gotten every single one that he has. Every single one.
1: That's that's a little Google
0: it. I swear to God, I like the movie. I don't like that fucking much. Jesus.
1: come on. Oh, no, it would be fun (laughs) as if, if you were like, you know, kind of going willy nilly with your tattoo getting if you just picked one. Yeah, from, remember from, Sammy
0: Jenkins would be
1: mine. Yeah, that yeah. would be, I really wonder what mine would be. I'd have to go and examine everything that he says, because I remember there were a couple in there that I'd be like, oh, that'd be kind of an interesting one to have. I mean, the,
0: there's some of those, like, you got to wonder when the movie is done, or rather when it begins, what's, what's happening next? Like, is the dude getting the, those tattoos, like, crossed out or, like, completed, mission completed? Because I yeah. like, you know, I don't know. That's
1: what you, you got to think about long,
0: that. Yeah, how long will he keep himself on his own rat race? john g race oof my mother calls me teddy (laughs) and then we'll move right into following
1: yeah baby
0: let's do it so you have just watched this for the first time like in preparation for okay cool cool yep it seemed like a little backstory just about nolan as how he got to following the the guy seemed it seems like he was interested in making movies from birth took over the family camera at age seven Announced he wanted to be a director by age 11. Got an English degree in literature, but he was helping out on corporate videos, industrial films. He makes a few short films. Doodlebug in 1997, probably the best scene. I think it's out there. I think it's actually a bonus feature on Following. Then he then that leads to following his first feature, which he makes for a three thousand dollar production budget with his friends. They film it on weekends because everyone had day jobs. Doesn't this sound familiar to how you and I have made movies in the past (laughs) there? Nolan and his crew again, it was just all friends. It included his then girlfriend, now wife, producer Emma Thomas, who has produced all of Nolan's films, which is really cool. As I said, he stole shots on public streets. They use their apartments. They use public spaces. And they created a very twisty 70 minute black and white thriller. So I want to hear what you thought about this one. Criterion did pick this up in 2012, which is great. Highly recommend buying that for reasons we're going to talk about. But yeah, what'd you think?
1: The th- first thing that I wrote in my notes when I popped down the movie. I was pretty much grabbed immediately in the opening title cards with the props. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't and I can't even ex- really explain why. I don't know why, but I just remember thinking I was like, oh, wow, this is Um, I don't know. The, like, maybe you can kind of speak to this. Like, th- I feel like there is an art to when you are filming props in a movie. Like, it, it seems so simple. That's like, oh, we need to show certain things. And sometimes you remember the visuals of the props in your head, mm-hmm. and other times they're so unremarkable. And this is this is a this is a
0: crazy thing you're pointing out. I do know how to explain this for Nolan specifically, but yeah, keep going.
1: This, this is the thing that I, I was like, all of a sudden, I'm like, huh, I am I'm really invested into these props right now, which is pretty cool. And then I was just, it was, in, I was intrigued from the whole rest of it and i really kind of dug that that voyeuristic mm-hmm. vibe there wasn't a lot of explanation to this guy who just started following people like yeah. like like what i liked about it was the um cuz you could let your imagination go with it you could almost put yourself in his shoes like you just he he gave you enough of why he did it to let you kind of be like i could kind of see that i could kind of see like the 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 curiosity in doing something mm-hmm. like this. And then the story co- takes over. As the movie was going, I was just really, really connecting to that. It feels like a first time film, but it feels like one that's made with so much confidence. Mm-hmm. And I also think that for all of the little plot holes that Nolan kind of has throughout the rest of his career, I didn't find any in this. No. He wraps yeah, he yeah everything up like when you get to the end so tight yeah it's it's such a tight tight. construction yeah i i just kept thinking i was like sometimes i was like geez chris why don't you kind of go back to the basics in some of your movies and just i've been saying that for years i i
0: i appreciate a lot of his later work but interstellar is long oppenheimer has a long runtime we're gonna see how it plays out I would love for him to go back to a twisty under a hundred minute noir like following or memento or something. I mean, can you, can you imagine uh. even if they did it for, you know, 30 million or something? Oh my God, it would be so good. I would love it. I would love it. But then again, ho- however, then to, t- to discredit myself right away, he is the only director they are giving hundreds of millions of dollars to, yeah. to make big budget movies, and I want a director to be able to do that so it's a total yes. given it's a total push pull always
1: and i i love the noir aspect of it i loved it I, I got faces vibes or not faces um shadows vibes from it yeah just 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 everything that was going on i didn't feel like there was a wasted moment i think all the performances were great so i think that's the reason why it came so highly on my on my watch list was because for it being what it was i was like I just, I just don't think you really could have done better. Mm -hmm. Like, what an outing for what you had to work with. What and then what was the final product? I mean, do that thing that everyone does today, chef's kiss. You know, that annoys me. I just fucking hate that. You know what I I don't don't like? It's like either make the gesture, people smack their lips. Either you make the gesture with your hands and you don't say chef's kiss. Or you just say chef's kiss, but don't make the gesture. One of the two. One or the two is fine. Or you just say it's fucking good. Or I yeah. don't know. Move Something on.
0: Else. <laughs> okay, but, props. Yes, go back to that. Yes, I will go back to props. Props are shot uh differently on different movies for bigger movies it is very common you know actors uh they're really busy they have trailers to get back to and business calls to make and distractions to keep them from the movie at hand so when they're done with their coverage meaning being on camera some actors will go back to their trailer when the other actor has their coverage and there's a stand in there you know doing filling in for the lead actor that that happens a lot They do the same thing with props. Most You rarely see when props, like close-ups of props. We're talking these insert shots. What I'm trying to say is Christopher Nolan shoots all the insert shots right there. It's the last thing they do in the scene. So after everything's done, he goes, okay, we need one more take of you fiddling with these props in the scene. That way the lighting matches. That way it's actually your hand. It's actually Al Pacino's hand in insomnia, not some P.A., who you know they're trying to match for Pacino's hands, and then and you tell you can tell that you may not be able to tell like exactly, but you had an inkling about it, and that is why it's why yeah. Soderbergh does the same thing. All of his props are shot right there with the actual actors. I mean, some prop setups they do them at the end of the fucking shoot, and they're like, oh yeah, we have to go back to that set and good do a close up of that beer can. Okay, okay, and they they they'll like reserve the last few days for just pro-
1: insert prop shooting. And there's just something about like, especially because a lot of following what happens in it actually does rely heavily on some of the props. Like there's placement of them that the earring, for example, Mm -hmm. even when it's not even a close up necessarily, he he shows it to you in a way where I just don't know why, but like I, I will remember that earring. I will remember what it looks like and I remember where he places it. And this happens in insomnia as well. And momentum. Oh my god! Like, yeah. the, like, yeah. you, like, there's just a certain thing where it's like, if someone was to ask me, "Hey, what did that earring look like?" In following, I would be able to be fairly specific, and in, in terms mm-hmm. of like, oh yeah, it was, it was like a medium size. It was kind of long, kind of, but it was the the ball, and it had like a little S curve. And I'm like, why do I remember this earring so vividly? Because I need, because he wants you to know what it looks like, so that way when he places it here, and then it comes back at the end you're not going through that audience thing of being like, what happened to the fucking earring? I don't remember an earring. Yeah. yeah. Because with a movie like this, if you lose track of something like that, that ending's not going to work because you're not following. You have to keep track of all these MacGuffins. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And um, this is a crazy conversation to have all about props.
0: (laughs) No, but it's really cool. I mean, they're so important and so vital to especially his early stories. No, I love it. I love talking about getting really really like granular about something like this i don't know how, i don't want to go into too much of what it's about, but i'm I'm sure of all the movies we're talking about today, this is the one that is the least seen, and I really yes. want people to yeah. go see it It yeah. is only seventy minutes long, very high level plot description. It is about a young man known only to us as young man, and he we don't really know why, but he just follows people around, seemingly for no reason. And as a result of this, he meets a shady house burglar named Cobb. That's a character named Nolan reuses for Leonardo DiCaprio and in Inception.
1: Nice. I didn't catch that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we take off from there. As you said, the construction is so tight. It's so well edited. That's what makes it so fun. Part of why having a subscription to the Criterion app or owning this Criterion is that you can watch this movie in chronological order, which is a lot of fun. To do it it is not as effective as the nonlinear cut to me, and Nolan also does a commentary for it, which he doesn't do anymore, so those are always fun to listen to, but yeah, really good movie. I'm glad we honed in on it but it fools you It, it, do, it, fools it does you, like a lot. You. it's smarter yep. than shit. it fools you in ways that seem when when you watch it I mean if you've only seen it once, when you go and watch it a second time you're like god damn that was obvious that was just smacking me right there on the head but it's like not it's the way they've set it all up it's really something else
1: it's really a good movie it's just fun. And you see in such a contains uh filmmaking um uh showcase by nolan you can see all of his isms that he will bring out later in his even more uh micro work to his macro work it's it's all in there. Like it's all, I, and I love that. I love early directors work where you see their things and then you see how they graduate to making them bigger and better in their, in their following films. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay. Real quick, just to get a prompt going. Cause I actually, I have a guess, but I don't know this. What was the first Christopher Nolan movie you watched? And when, like, when did you become where, uh, aware of Nolan?
1: Oh, What a good question.
0: Um, It's right there in the outline. Yeah, I know, but sometimes I like to be surprised. That means he opens it right before we start recording.
1: That's not true. 100% not true. I have all of you. Oh, you know what? I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to. I don't. I'm not going to. Don't take the bait.
0: Don't take the bait.
1: I'm not going to take the bait. I shouldn't. Uh, I shouldn't be baiting you. (laughs) It it had to be Memento. Same. It same. had to be. Yeah. Yeah. Because. I didn't know. I just didn't know I, if you got yep. in that early. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely that because I remember when Batman Begins came out mm-hmm. to, when it was like, oh, who's directing the new Batman movie? And it's Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Who the hell is Christopher Nolan? I know that name. And um, and I was like, oh, that's the Memento guy. Yeah. And that's when I had a feeling. I was like, oh, okay. Maybe we're going to get something a little cool here. Damn right. I mean, we'll get to that whole Batman thing, but I mean, that was a big deal at that time. Was it was like, huge. You, you were coming off of the Joel Schumacher versions of Batman, which were, I mean, an, as entertaining as they were, they did not put Batman in the best slight in terms of the way that the the public viewed Batman. But anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Until,
0: yeah, until our guy brought him back. Okay. Yep. My first Nolan was Memento as well, certainly. Oh, God. Okay, second prompt here, but I mean, yeah, they're they're in tandem. I want to know why you like Christopher Nolan. Why do you like oh. his movies? Very general, very basic. Mine, I've I've already actually made one of my big points, which was that I love that he worked with Warner Brothers for all that time and was able to make all those movies. And but I love, you know, that he started out by making a micro budget movie with his friends, and that led to a Smash indie that got him nominated for an Oscar then he remade a beloved foreign film and nailed it and then yes he takes on a relatively dreaded comic book hero dreaded in terms of how he's been portrayed cinematically at the time he takes that on and then he just moves on to make these really big original films like I know Oppenheimer is based on something but it's not as high of IP as Batman or Superman yeah you know he's making this much more original content. And we've already gotten into my main reason, which is that there's really only one Christopher Nolan. I have in my heart. I believe that maybe Damien Chazelle will get there and God willing Mm -hmm. be given bigger budgets to make. I mean, Babylon is out as outrageous as you get. Love you. All hail Babylon. I hope that he is one who's emerging. I don't know. We're going to see. But Nolan's like, I'm not interested in TV. I'm interested in making movies. I'm interested in really pushing boundaries in terms of time structure. So, yeah, that's why I like him. I have... Never seen a Christopher Nolan movie
1: that I didn't like, at least in some capacity. This is a guy who's, who has huge ideas, yeah. huge, complex ideas, and he does his best to put them to film. There hasn't been one Nolan movie that I've seen where I don't admire the ambition mm-hmm. and creativity and originality and... If he doesn't actually succeed, he comes really close to actually nailing what he set out to do. He tries Um, every time. Yeah. Big swings. Huge swings. I mean, and and we go from this micro level of doing that with movies like Memento and even still Following. Mm -hmm. Following has got some crazy unique original ideas in terms of time and things like that. As he gets bigger and bigger and bigger... Now he's just this guy that's like, all right, I am operating on the biggest scope of any director living currently. And I think that that's true. I don't think that there's any other director who's putting forth big blockbusters with these huge types of ideas. No, there are like few him.
0: emerging. I forgot a big one, Jordan Peele would love to be doing oh, what Christopher yeah, Nolan's yeah, doing yeah. and he may, I mean Nope was a huge swing. They gave him a ton of money for that. IMAX, he had the same cinematographer that Nolan currently uses, you know. So there's some similarities there for sure.
1: So that that is what I like about Nolan and I and and some people say some of his stuff is unoriginal at times. I bark up against that because I'm like okay he might be taking things from other things but that's what every artist does and are they doing it like him mm-hmm. are they doing it as cool as Nolan does it are they doing it on the scope that Nolan does no they're not they never have and they probably never will <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so, so that that's my argument when anyone kind of comes up against his his scope and and, and ideas yeah I I love that. All right.
0: Next question. My answer is short. Why do you, in parentheses, sometimes hate Christopher Nolan? My Uh. short answer is I don't. I don't hate any of his films. I'm able to acknowledge some of them contain very silly elements that I cannot. uh, There's just no denying it. That whether it's a plot point, whether it's a performance, uh, whether it's the way that someone dies on camera. Uh Some of the stuff that he puts in his movies, I just kind of shrug and roll my eyes and go, okay, that had to be in there. I I mean, that that was a choice, but it doesn't ruin the movie for me. And that's, so I wouldn't apply the word hate to him.
1: I'm not going to apply the word hate. Okay. There are two particular movies that, um, one, I really don't care for. And another one that I want to like so much. I want to like it so much more than I do, but there's just some things that happen in it that just, I'm like, I can't. The, the, the plot holes that are there are a little bit too much for me to forgive because I actually think that for the most part, there are all of these flaws in all of Nolan's movies. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them. There's, there's a few that they are they're pretty perfect. And one of them being in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Right. And I forgive it. I I forgive it. So I guess the question that I frame for myself when I'm watching one of his movies is, where is my line for what I'm willing to kind of forgive in terms of some of these holes? Why am I not able to do it for some of these? Like, what is that? And that's all my stuff. But at the end of the day, it's really, really hard for me to... Like come out of some because even one of these movies, the one that I have big issues with, there are moments that happen in that movie that I'm like, well, fuck it. That's just one of the best cinematic moments I've ever seen in any movie ever yeah
0: he and it's like it's undeniable rem, right
1: he can remind you how good of a filmmaker he
0: is even if what you're yes. watching isn't your vibe like you know i ask i whenever we're gonna do a director i always ask my dad like his thoughts on it and he goes memento changed movies the dark knight is yep. a masterpiece." and dunkirk was too damn loud <laughs> ah! <laughs> he just doesn't it wasn't for him he didn't like it he's like i got it i got what yep. he was doing it was just too loud too much noise not enough character for me and he considers himself a nolan fan and that's you know i think that's fair it, it what that's what's so int. that's why he makes for having such an interesting conversation about because we can go down so many different roads about flaws here flaws there and you know that there will be no uh, Kate Fear level discussion today, <laughs> as a callback no, to no, our no, Mark Scorsese pod. No, because I can't. No, I know the two movies you're referencing, the ones you have major problems with, and I'm not here to like fight you on them. I, I because I will likely agree, but be able to forgive. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> and I'm doing my best to not be mean. <laughs> that's okay. That's what. I, that's another thing. Is like this is going to be a looser directors episode because. A lot of these movies are very popular and they've made a lot of money and they've, uh, you know, in a lot of people have engaged in fierce discussion about them. So it's just going to go where it's going to go. You know, I will guide you if you're being impolite or inelegant. Guide me. (laughs) Guide you. (laughs) Nolan has a writing credit on every movie he's made except Insomnia, which was written by Hilary Zeitz. But still, that's awesome. Like, that's crazy. That's why. There's a kinship between Nolan and Tarantino that Tarantino talks a lot about and Paul Thomas Anderson because they're all writer directors, not just directors. I love that. Nolan has made 11 feature films. Oppenheimer will be his 12th, but of those first 11, 10 of them were eligible for Oscars. Following, of course, was not. Of those 10, only two of them have not been nominated for Oscars. Insomnia and... The Dark Knight Rises. (laughs) Well, there. (laughs) Most expensive film. The Dark Knight Rises reported $230 million budget. Biggest box office. The Dark Knight, which had $1.006 billion in gross, but then Rises had $1.081 billion. So apparently Rises barely wins out there, but it was much more expensive to make. So you do the math. Three Nolan films tie for the most Oscar nominations. The Dark Knight, Inception, and Dunkirk all received eight, but Inception is the most awarded with four Oscars total. Will Oppenheimer be nominated for more than eight? We're gonna see. I bet it could. I think
1: Oppenheimer might have a real, real Oscar contender. It, if, it, could. if it ends up being as good as as we all think it, it's gonna be.
0: Yeah, who knows? Like serious Oscar contention, picture director, I don't know, but it is a period piece made by an inarguable master filmmaker. So you're talking costumes, art direction, talking all those Oscars. Cinematography is uh, undoubtedly a given. Score, perhaps. You know, it could get all those technical editing, of course. It could get a lot of those technical ones and still maybe beat eight. I don't know. We're going to see. I think it could, though. He's collaborated with his brother, Jonathan Nolan, on a number of scripts, Memento, which was based on Jonathan's short story, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, and Interstellar. Jonathan is probably best known now for creating HBO's Westworld, but that's cool. Little brother combo there. Yeah. Interesting to see interviews with them because Jonathan talks with a fully American accent and Christopher does not. So that's fun. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Just some fun trivia there. Now we're doing things a little differently. It's a slightly different format. We've gone past 100 episodes and that's what we're doing. So the beginning is the end or the end is the beginning. I don't know, but we're going to rank Christopher Nolan right now. How Nolan of you. (laughs) Yes, how Nolan of me. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone Ah! will know. We're going to rank him right up top here before we talk about the filmography. Up to you, how much explanation you want to get to, knowing that we will eventually get to the explanation. Or have we already gotten to the explanation? Have we? It's all inversed. It, it all is. We're not including Oppenheimer here. Obviously, we haven't seen it. And it would be fun. I'll put that in the outline for the Oppenheimer pod to uh, kind of predict what Oscars it could be nominated for. But for now, let's rank them. We'll go back and forth. 11, 10, 9, leading us all the way to one. You want to go first? <laughs> uh, you know what? I've been going first for 100 episodes. My number 11 is going okay. to surprise you. Is it Really? Yes, it was a hard-fought battle, but it is indeed The Dark Knight Rises. Ooh. Yeah, my least favorite Nolan film. However, I know you don't usually give like letter grades to movies. Mm -hmm. I I always did on my blog. So I just want to put into context that if I was giving a letter grade to these movies, I would give The Dark Knight Rises a B. So while it is my quote-unquote least favorite Nolan film, that is not a movie I dislike. I quite like it for reasons we will talk about, or we already have talked about. But yes, what's your number 11?
1: My number 11 with a bullet is The Dark Knight Rises.
0: Yeah, I figured. I figured in where, oh, we're going to get to the reasons why. I can't wait to hear that. One of the first conversations, and <laughs> I ever had was about that movie. and Boy, did you get passionate. I was like, I'll never forget that. We were driving down Sunset. And I was like, God damn, he's fucking, <laughs> he's fired up. So we were driving down Santa Monica scouting for There I Go, Santa Monica. And I was like, man, he's fired up about this movie. <laughs> um, I remember that. Number 10 for me. This is crazy, but it's Batman Begins. Ah, and yeah, this is something that I uh, realized rewatching for this pod. Yeah, Batman Begins again. Not talking smack. I'd I'd give it a B or higher, but yeah, Batman Begins.
1: My number ten. I hate I hate to say it, but I'm going to. It's Interstellar. Oh wow! Yep. Can't say I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. But hey, it made the top ten. Hardy fucking hard. there's only 11
0: <laughs> all right help me out here dark knight rises we'll get to if you had to give a letter grade to interstellar if if you were grading it like what would you give it and you can use pluses minuses i'm just curious for context and you yeah, can yeah. say anything i don't care you can give it a yeah. fucking d minus
1: no 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 i because i because that's the thing i don't think interstellar is a bad movie Here's
0: a hint as we go down our list. I have given one of these movies a D minus at one point in their lifetimes. And I will explain.
1: <laughs> I I will give Interstellar a B minus. Okay. Okay, cool. That's fair. Yep.
0: That's fair. Yeah. Just wondering. Now yep. it's getting crazy for me because I love these. I mean, one through nine. I just love these movies. Number nine for me is Following. Oh, wow. I wow. know. I know. I know. I really like that movie. I watched that movie three fucking times in like four days it was great wow i didn't that's kind of high up there though thanks
1: i know make me feel worse (laughs) what i know what you're gonna put here no i don't i I don't think you do you know it's funny that we're doing this and we're talking about these movies because i don't really like my placement for any of these because i I, had trouble i i
0: had trouble i my top three Locked in. I. It's always been that way. Always. It got dicey for me around four, five, six.
1: Yeah. I, I'm actually in, in the middle of like reprocessing my four, five, and six. I. I really, really like this movie, and I don't like that I have it in my number nine spot. But I'm putting number nine. I'm putting Dunkirk. Ooh. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's that. That one hurts. That one hurts. Number eight for me. Yes. A movie
0: I love. Had a fantastic time rewatching it. The Prestige.
1: Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I get it. I get it. What about you? Uh, number eight. I'm going with a movie that I need to see a second time. But even upon first viewing, I liked it. Uh, that's Tenet.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about that. I'm so excited to get into that one. I am. I have I have a lot of thoughts. Be- and just, you know, leading right into my number seven, Tenet, ah, a nice. movie that i f- fucking hated the first time i saw it oh my god we'll talk about it holy shit i hated that movie and what in an about face i've had with it and i honestly wanted to put it higher but then i was looking i was like it can't can't knock that out it can't knock that out really but yeah seven for me tenant a movie i adore now and watch constantly my yeah god all right my number seven
1: uh batman begins
0: okay okay all right, number six for me. Wow, way higher than I imagined. Inception. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Don't know what to say.
1: Ah, you're love trying it. To kill G- me. I would
0: give it an A. I would give it. We're in A
1: status now. I'd give that movie an A. Inception. All right, all right. My number six, and this is kind of crazy. I, I, um, I didn't think that this would happen. Uh, number six is The Dark Knight. Oh fuck! I thought that'd be way higher.
0: No, no. Wow. So more of a fan of Heath as opposed
1: to the movie overall, perhaps. Yes. Yes. Ah. But, but it, I have, uh, it's, it's tough because like there, that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a really personal like movie going experience moment I've had with that movie. So I'm also thinking about it has, has how they age over time too. So, but we'll get into all of that.
0: That's a huge one. That's a huge, a huge aspect one. of the yep. pieces, uh, yep. How all these rewatches I did for the past, you know, three, two, three weeks. Yep. Number five for me. Dunkirk, a movie that uh, really holds up for me. Five. I really like it. Yeah, yep. it did. It did, which surprised me. I did not know Inception. I thought Inception would for sure make the top five, but, you know,
1: Dunkirk it is. So now that we're breaking the top five, I have a similar, uh, I, I, I am shocked that this movie made my top five, uh, and that's The Prestige. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I love that movie. I love it.
0: It's, it's, it's tenuous ranking right, right now. Yeah.
1: I, that, this was a big about face. Oh, really? Not a fan originally. I was a fan, but I had a giant issue with it. And okay. I had since kind of figured it out. And and this last rewatch that I had, I was just like, this is um, this is good shit. Honestly, that was my favorite rewatch of the past
0: few weeks of his yeah, work. Of his I work. mean, I had a lot of, I had not seen Following in 10 years. I had a sh- really fun time with that. But the Prestige, I I... Had forgotten shit. Yeah, for sure. Number four for me, the dark Knight. Uh yeah, for yep. re for rewatchability alone. It is endlessly rewatchable. Remember, we well, I don't want to oh. tell the full story, but you, you remember <laughs> in I that love. apartment you're sitting in very now. Yeah. Yep. Just we were trying to find a movie to watch uh very late at night or early in the morning, I should say. We had just come home from, I believe, a show of some sort. And I, I just said, you want to watch The Dark Knight? <laughs> <laughs> just it was like, like that. 3.30 in the morning and yeah,
1: it was home <laughs> oh, memories. You definitely had to be there for that one, but wow, memories. All right. Uh, num- number four for me, um, I felt weird putting this one here just because I had just seen it and I was like, this might be one of those Impulse um, ones. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm a little I'm a little hesitant but I, that's how much I liked it and that's following. Cool. It's a great
0: movie. It's great and the fact that he made it for $6,000 total. 3,000 of that was on production, another 3 was in
1: post is wild. Th- there's a lot of the reason why I like it is for reasons like that. It it's the yeah, fact that yeah. this was a, his first movie uh what he did with it, what like there were just tiny little things about this that I was like, I'm just eating all of it up as a first-time filmmaker. So I'm kind of grading it on a certain level, but i that's how much I appreciated it. So mm-hmm. we'll see if that changes over time.
0: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have the technical bravado of Tenant, obviously, but they didn't have the money for it. And what yeah. he achieves with that budget yeah. is fascinating. It's like what Primer did with time travel following does with like the noir film. It, yep. It's, you know, this on... Wow, it's so, it's so cool. Even that final shot, I was listening to the commentary. This is not a spoiler, but how they achieved it, he's like, oh, yeah, if you need to do that, like shoot someone in a crowd without the crowd knowing. Just put the camera way down, and then you point up at them, and the crowd like, can't tell what you're doing. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's God. fucking smart. And then fucking <laughs> smart. So that's, <laughs> that's all they did. And they put him so far away and used a, hu- a very, very long lens, and they just put the camera down like, at like, waist level and pointed it up so no one knew they were filming, and you yep. can't see anyone's face. Shit yeah. like that. It's like, oh, that, that, that is something I could very practically use on the next thing I shoot if we're doing something, you know, guerrilla style, like in the wild. Just shit like that. I love that. So yeah. I think it's cool that it, it ranked that highly. And it's I understand the reasons why. Um, I love the movies you haven't mentioned yet. So this is exciting. Number three for me, Insomnia. More people need to talk about Insomnia. I love this movie. We're going to get into it. Oh, my God, do I love it. Uh, a director for hire job. And he nailed it. And a remake at that. And he nailed it
1: uh funny it's your number three because it's my number three as well Ooh, very good it it was an amazing watch i uh yeah i have some fun shit to talk about
0: that related to the extras on the movie what was it a remake of insomnia a 1996 film Starring Stellan Skarsgård in the oh. lead a Norwegian movie directed by Erik Stolbarg, is I believe how you say it. It's a Norwegian film. Follows a lot of the same beats. I, wow. uh, I obviously saw Nolan's version first, but then it's a Criterion release, so you can find it. It's probably on the Criterion channel, but it, it was an early Criterion release, and it's great. It's very, oh. very, very similar. It doesn't have the same cool shit that Nolan does with time or yeah. with focus or... Putting you like in that state of mind that dormer is in. It's just.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I love that's your number three. Number two. Oh, let's duke it out. It's interstellar.
1: Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> I'm dead serious. Oh, we'll get into it. Oh, we'll get uh, into it. I, I everything I can assume we've talked about it before over our years of friendship. I have assumptions about all the points you will bring up on it, and I can't fight you on any of them because I agree. Yes, yep. They just don't hold as much weight for me. They're not as severe. That's, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I have another reason why I found a newfound appreciation for it in the past couple weeks. So yeah, Interstellar, the, in my opinion, the biggest swing of his career thus far.
1: And And when we do talk about that one, I will talk about not just the things that I have issues with, but also the things that. God damn it. Like there are things in that movie that just get me in, in ways that uh, his other movies don't. So like that's why it's a very, very strange, yeah. strange thing. But number two. Wow. All right. All right. All right. I know. We get it, man. You fucking love for Grace. We yeah. I know, man. He <laughs> just does it
0: for you. Absolutely does it for you. Eureka.
1: That's my number two. Number two. Number two from you. I have a guess. Number two from me is uh, a solid, solid number two spot. Memento. You can be my John G. I
0: figured I figured my number one surprise, surprise Memento. Yeah. You know, of course, he's done bigger movies. He's done movies that much more people have seen. But I agree with my dad that Memento changed cinema. It really did. It really messed with structure in a way. It wasn't the first movie to do the reverse thing, but. Man, he brought it into the zeitgeist in a way that I, like almost every director tried their hand at in some fashion to be like, all right, he did it, so now we we all have kind of license to do it. But again, it was an indie movie made for next to no money. And I just got
1: done rewatching it and it fucking rocks. It <laughs> does. It, it holds up it, like there, there's nothing like that first time viewing with it. Oh, it, but then the rewatch ability of that movie is still great. Like it, it, it even when you know what happens, it still works. Yeah. Number one for you. And my number one, there's no surprise here. Any one of our mad movie buffs know that Inception is in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. And so it is number one with a bullet. Inception. Oh, I love it so much. There you go. I was gonna ask if it was still holding strong in your
0: all-timer status. Christopher Nolan. Woo! Wow, it's been it's been a journey, folks. Has it ever? Love him or hate him, he's got a new movie coming out, Oppenheimer. I have been very excited to talk with you on mic about Nolan for uh, since we started the pod because Nolan, Christopher Nolan, again. Love him or hate him is a very, very big filmmaker. And almost everyone who watches movies seems to have an opinion on him. One of the things I love about the Nolan aura is that a lot of his most loyal fan base will like fight you if you dislike a movie. But then some of those same people, some of the people in that fan base fan base will wholeheartedly reject a Nolan movie yep. <laughs> and like hate that movie more than anything. So they'll go from these Total polars of this is one of the best movies ever made to. this is one of the biggest pieces of shit ever. And I enjoy that spectacle as a spectator. That's one of the things I love about it,
1: but we're here to talk about him how you feel it. Oh, I'm feeling great. <laughs> I mean, he's such an interesting Good. guy to talk about with this. He's not really our typical director profile that we would do. No, he's a huge big budget director. Yeah, I think he's an important one because I think he's the one director that we have today that his name directing sells the movie. Yes. There used to be directors that could do this. I think Quentin Tarantino was one. Um Spielberg. I don't know anymore. Spielberg oh, was yeah. one. I mean, but yeah, back in the day, it's like Spielberg. I mean, yeah. directors
0: used to be eventized in a way that uh, does not exist anymore. I would say, except
1: for the man we're talking about today. Exactly. Because yeah. it doesn't matter who's in his cast. Like nope. It really doesn't. He's going to put a bunch of stars in it, but... Honest to God, it wouldn't matter if they were no-name actors because they're like, oh, well, I mean, one of them was Dunkirk. Dunkirk. I mean, he I essentially mean, uh, did yeah. that with all of the leads in Dunkirk. One of them is yeah. a very, very famous pop star, but he didn't know that really at the time. He just <laughs> cast him because he thought he had a things. good
0: audition. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: so it, it's really amazing in a time where movies are were in a very, very – unstable time with movies that we have one director that people will go to the theaters no matter what the content of the movie is just because it's the new Christopher Nolan movie. Well, that theory, I agree with what you just
0: said. That's going to be put to the ultimate test. We are recording this just a few short days before Oppenheimer is released his 12th feature film. It's a hundred million dollar movie about a guy born in 1904. A lot of it is in black and white. It's rated R, his first R-rated movie since Insomnia. So we're going to... It's coming out the same day as Barbie. A lot has been made about that. Barbie is yeah. going to... Uh- People shouldn't be like, what's going to win the box office? That's no competition. Barbie's going to blow it out of the water. It's PG-13. It has anyone and everyone's going to go to that, from little kids on up to even some grandparents, I bet. Oppenheimer is a tougher sell. It's long. It's three hours. It's rated R. So we're really going to see how the fan base shows up and reacts to this one. I'm excited as all hell. I'm, I
1: get very excited for any Christopher Nolan movie. So I'm pumped. I'm ready. The, well, this is an interesting thing before we even move on to Nolan is the whole Barbie Oppenheimer situation. Because sure. I remember thinking when I found out that they were going to be released on the same day, I go, how could the studios be so stupid? Like you're, you're taking two movies that are guaranteed to be big box office uh, successes And you're putting them up against each other. I was like, you're going to cancel each one out because I don't know how many people are going to go see two movies in one weekend. I I just thought it might have been a misfire. But in the last month of leading up to all this, the whole narrative is, which one are you going to see first? Are you going to see Oppenheimer? Are you going to see Barbie? Are you going to double feature it? Even Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm, Tom Cruise mm -hmm. had like the best thing ever. He was like, I'm going to do both. I'm going to go on a Friday night in a jam-packed theater, the way movies are intended, like selling it, just selling the whole thing. And I know damn damn well Tom Cruise is not going into a movie theater. No, no. He'll go say like (laughs) hi and get some press photos
0: and then leave. He's not going to sit there for three and a half hours of previews and watching his ex-wife introduce the movie before it begins. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Can I put this into a, a little more context for you? Well, I sure hope you would. About why Barbenheimer (laughs) is happening. Christopher Nolan plans his movies out very far in advance. He has booked the release date of Oppenheimer. I'm going to see it on July 20th, but its official release date is July 21st, that Friday. This has been planned for years. Tom Cruise is currently a little mad or a lot of mad at Christopher Nolan because Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which I have seen is only in IMAX theaters for one week because Oppenheimer is oh. knocking it out because Oppenheimer had dibs. It was there first because Nolan books his dates out so far in advance. Oh my God. Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan have had one of the most sacred relationships of recent Hollywood history. They've made all of his movies post insomnia, all of them. They've taken, they let him, he negotiated a deal with them where he would do three comic book movies. And in the middle of that, he'd be able to venture off in between each movie. He'd be able to venture off and go make one of his weird little original movies. They let him do that. Then the pandemic happens and he gets pissed that Warner brothers essentially announces we are releasing all of our theatrical movies on streaming. They were the first company to do that. I don't know if you remember that. And it was going to be on HBO. Yeah. So they were going to release them in the theaters and on streaming at the same time, yep. therefore decimating the box office, which is kind of what happened to Tenet. I mean, it was also October yeah. 2020. Not a lot of people showed up. Okay, so Christopher Nolan... While he is a very known director, he's not like an infant terrible director where he's going around talking shit all the time. He doesn't do that. But he goes to the press and talks mad shit about Warner Brothers, says, how dare they do this without asking director's permission? And they put it on the worst streaming service, HBO Max. He literally said this. So Oppenheimer is the first non-Warner Brothers movie Christopher Nolan has directed, in decades, it is being released by Whoa. Universal Pictures. Would you like to take one goddamn guess what studio's releasing Barbie? Ah, uh, Warner Brothers. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's a huge some back channel fuck you's going on with this, this is whole petty. thing petty petty and Nolan knows this Nolan is uh, he has to but he's not going on the offensive there's no reason to just own it i mean they could have we've had a pretty dry summer in terms of releases the mission impossible movie helped a little bit we're gonna see how much money it makes i mean it was good to see that it was it's a really good movie so it was fun to go to that but it's been a pretty bare few weeks they could have released this two weeks ago two weeks from now it's just it's hysterical it's all hollywood pettiness but that's why barbenheimer is happening christopher nolan didn't do anything he did trash he did trash warner brothers in the press he did do that but he had this release
1: date booked ages ago ages so so really the the shit talking that he did to warner brothers is now warner brothers revenge for with Barbie, correct on Oppenheimer's date, correct. That's
0: great. That's and the underlying narrative to all of this. Yes, that is why this is
1: happening. so. So, <laughs> fucking Tom Hollywood. Tom Cruise man. though, this is crazy. I love this. This is this is great stuff. I didn't know any of this. Yep. So, I mean, I can't help but feel for Tommy C. Right here because, well, I mean, that man's on a mission to save movies, and this is a huge deal. This Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. It and is. you're right, like. It's getting one solid week in IMAX theaters Mm -hmm. before Oppenheimer takes over. Now however here's the thing. Yeah, let
0: me add another caveat oppenheimer strictly because it is rated r and three hours long and dead reckoning part one is (laughs) it's no slouch it's i think two hours and 47 minutes but it's pg-13 and it will undoubtedly get more asses in seats than oppenheimer so it could very well end up back in those imax theaters another thing another thing i gotta say mission impossible this new mission Impossible was not shot on imax it was not Oh, I did not know that. I went and saw it on an IMAX screen. It did not take up the whole screen, and it was filmed for IMAX. Uh, so they're very careful wording there. I don't. If they shot it on IMAX cameras, they scaled it down to the scope ratio, 235. I don't know why you would ever do that. I was talking with Dan about this like all day yesterday. I don't know why someone would do that, but it, Reddit is making a huge stink about it. But uh, to my memory and recollection, there were no scenes in that movie that took up that whole giant IMAX screen whereas Oppenheimer I'm told the entire fucking thing is shot in IMAX Uh, it was like how many rolls of film was like the negatives like millions of feet or something like that it's crazy like it's a lot a lot of film so that's a difference too so I I just counterbalance myself there maybe Oppenheimer will stay in longer because it's going to
1: look a lot cooler than Dead Reckoning I can almost guarantee that oh I am pissed I just I'm going to see Dead Reckoning today with Dan and we bought tickets in IMAX. To, I, well, this is why
0: he and I were talking about it. He's like, so did I just pay for IMAX tickets with a movie that isn't in an IMAX? And I go, well, they they this is what they used to do all the time is scale movies up to make them yeah. look and sound good on, you know, the IMAX screen. but." The the Oppenheimer trailer, for instance, is in IMAX and in IMAX sound. And that trailer mm-hmm. sounded better than anything in Dead Reckoning. And I'm not talking shit on Dead Reckoning. I like that movie. I liked yeah. it a lot. I had a yeah, lot yeah. of fun with it. It's a great Mission Impossible movie. It's exactly what you want it to be. But it was not shot. If it was shot with IMAX cameras, it was not being projected that way. I Don't, don't ask me, man. It's some weird shit. They're, the internet is they're going crazy over us. it, though. Well, I think that's where that technical language comes in, where it says filmed for IMAX, whereas Oppenheimer says shot on IMAX. I don't know. I don't know. You know, wouldn't we all like to film something for IMAX? Even if we shot it on our phone, wouldn't we like to film it for IMAX? It's just it's all Hollywood bullshit, man. Welcome to the Hollywood bullshit
1: corner. (laughs) This 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 is this is this is just oh, my God, I am. uh, I can't do anything, so. We got a long ways <laughs> to go, buddy. Let's get back to Christopher Nolan here. <laughs> let's, let's, let's move forward.
0: Hey, everyone! Welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withers, and I'm joined by my best man, Nick dostal How you doing there, John G? Oof!
1: You can be my John G. <laughs> oh, I feel I feel like you've accepted uh, me to be here, so I'm incepted to be oh, here. <laughs> you're
0: incepted.
1: Oh God. Are
0: you saying you didn't want to do this and I'd go on some crazy fever dream? I mean, how much did they spend on that mission? I mean, seriously, if you calculate when Ken Watanabe buys the airline, they must have spent like billions of fucking dollars oh, yeah. pulling that off. Oh,
1: billions. I love it. Yeah. It's billions. Yeah. Whatever. Once you got a corporate guy like that who's just got the money, it doesn't matter how much. It's just all happening. It's just all happening. You got to do what you got to do.
0: Business goes forward. Now, where was I?